And we are on air for NASCAR Race Review with Hot Topic Sound Up. And tonight, we are reviewing a lot. In the first half hour, we'll review three races from the Arca Menard Series, including the Arca West at Irwindale Speedway. And the Arca Menards had two races this weekend, the Arca Menard Series. Uh, they raced at both Michigan and the Springfield Miles. So we, we will review both of those races. Uh, then at the top of the hour, we'll get into the NASCAR Truck Series at WWT Raceway at Gateway. And following that, we'll review the Xfinity and the Cup Series, both racing at Michigan International Speedway. At 10 o'clock, we will get into our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off with the Fan for Racing crew. And I'm sure we've got a few things to talk about there. So joining me for tonight's show is our co-host for tonight, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. I said I might be a minute or two late to call in. Uh, I still need a minute or two to get the computer up and running, but I know I can at least uh, chat with you here while I do that. Okay. Uh, That sounds like a plan. Uh, Jay is literally uh, coming from being on the road uh, to being on the show, so uh, we'll give him a few minutes to get that up. Uh, We'll start with the Arkham and Art Series race that took place at Irwindale Speedway. It wasn't the first race of the weekend, but uh, we'll go ahead and get started with that race. Uh, Jesse Love uh, earned his third consecutive Irwindale victory this weekend and uh, at a track that seems to just gel with Bill McAnally Racing drivers. For the second time this season and the fifth time in his career, the defending Arkham Menard Series West champion, Jesse Love, earned his victory, surviving a flurry of late race restarts, including a green-white checkered. Uh, so the win was also his third straight at Irwindale Speedway, uh, tying the record set by two fellow Bill McAnally racing drivers, including Brenham Gaughan, who did it in 2001, Todd Gilliland from 2016 to 17 as well as Jason Bowles with Sunrise Ford, who did it from 2008 and 2009. So uh, it was a big weekend for Jesse Love. Uh, It wasn't a walk in the park. He really had to work for it, uh, but he did come out on top uh, for his third straight win at Irwindale Speedway. So that was pretty cool, Jason. You talk about the, the, a tough combination to beat there. Not only do, does Bill McAnally Racing, as you mentioned, have have history there, bring dominant cars, but it also suits Jesse Love, uh, that style of track, that particular track uh, specifically. So you put those two together, and, yeah, you got almost an unbeatable combination going there. It definitely is. But as I did also mention, it wasn't all smooth sailing. Uh, for Jesse Love. He battled uh, for 40-plus laps. He wrestled second place from Jake Drew on lap 45 and then set his sights on Trevor Huddleston. Um, And then he uh, paced the opening 88 laps before Love edged uh, by by on a restart, and the rest was history. So uh, it, it took a little hustling on his part but he was able to come up uh, on the winning side of things when it was all said and done. 
it reminds me a little bit of, and I know you, you and I talked about this several times. I got to see him in person when Todd Gillen and Harrison Burton were coming through the Arkham Menards East and West series. They know that mm-hmm. uh, you know having a strong car is one thing, but being there at the end, if you got to save your equipment, running third, fourth, fifth, having that equipment and being able to make the run in the last 15, 20 laps, whatever it be, and having the equipment under you of doing that great job of saving the equipment and knowing when to use it. Yes, that is a very, very good point because that is a lesson that so many drivers take a little while uh, to learn. Some drivers inherently know it and they do that. And I think Jesse Love is one of those guys, but, um, uh, a lot of drivers don't get it. Now, I've seen drivers go get all the way into the Xfinity series and still not understand how important it is that they take care of that car. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's a good point, Jay. Now, Drew Dollar uh, came home and his best career finish for Sunrise Ford during his rookie season, um, and his emotion was clear post-race as he put uh, his head in his hands and wondered what he could have done differently uh, to get by Jesse Love. So um, it, it's uh, amazing how devastating it is to come in second. Uh, but when you're really working hard to try to – Jake Drew, I'm sorry, I said Drew Dollar. It's Jake Drew. Uh, it just uh, is amazing. Unless you uh, – that just tells you how driven these drivers are to win these races and coming home second can be so disappointing. Um, Paul Pedro and Sally Jr. tied his best career finish by coming in third. Uh, Joey East came home in fourth place after winning at Colorado National Speedway. Uh, it was his third consecutive top tie five of the season for David Gilliland's racing. Uh, <clears throat> also of note, uh, Ryan Park called into the car uh, to substitute for Dean Thompson because of the COVID-19 protocols. Uh, so Partridge ended up taking that seat. Uh, he's the coach for Dean Thompson. And so they thought it was appropriate for Ryan Partridge uh, to sub for him uh, while he's out for this particular right. Uh, the two-time series runner-up uh, shook off the cobweb, finished fifth after only one practice section to get comfortable with the car. Then it was Cole Moore, Todd Souza, Takuma Koga, Eric Nascimento, and Huddleston, who fell off the pace with 21 laps to go, who rounded out the top 10. Uh, of note, Bobby Hillis Jr. earned his second best finish of the season in 11th place with Amber Balkane in 11th, and Mariah Boudreau uh, finishing 13th, bringing their cars home clean in their second career start. So that speaks to the point that you were making, too. Yeah, several great storylines there. With always, you got the good and the bad. Uh, you talk about uh, Jake Drew, um, that disappointment, and knowing you came that close and you're, you question yourself, any driver that's been through that, especially looking for that first victory, you know, gets, gets mm-hmm. that feeling of what more can I do? You know, what am I missing that little bit uh, to get that edge and get that first victory? I think once you get the first one, you kind of realize and how to put it all together. But every young driver goes through that. 
That is true. Uh, and, and um, you know, I look for him to be, you know, trying that much harder at the upcoming races. So I wouldn't uh, count him out uh, just yet. I think he's still going to be a contender for, for other races down the road here. Um, so uh, we've got a few minutes here. Uh, let's do the points real quick for the West Series, Jay. Uh, do you have your stuff up? Yeah, uh, trying to pull the points up right now uh, for the West now. And we talked about this. This series is going to kind of settle itself out. Uh, Jesse Love, obviously, uh, trying to take control and go back-to-back in in the West Series as a champion, now has two wins out of five races, four top tens, three of them being top fives, has garnered now an 11-point lead over Cole Moore, you saw there wasn't a whole lot of difference in positions. Jake Drew mentioned three top fives and four top tens. 14 points has the advantage over Todd Susan fourth with the same uh, points, except they don't list them as the same. That's odd. Uh, but showing them both 14 points back. I'm looking at last lead. That's why not points. So 187 points, uh, 14 back. Jake Drew having the advantage with that second place finish now of the best uh, finish. Then in fifth place, you got Paul Pedronacilli Jr. at 20 back, Joey East at 21 back, Trevor Huddleston 27 back, Bridget Burgess minus 47, Takuma Koga at minus 54 tied with Bobby Hillis Jr. Again, Takuma Koga having the better uh, finish so far this season gets the tiebreaker. And those are your top 10 that now all have five starts. You mentioned Dean Thomas would have been the 11th that we've seen so far this year uh, yeah, with Dean five Thompson. starts. Or, yeah. yeah, sorry, Dean Thompson um, dropping back to only having four starts. So it's still 56 points back. It uh, tells you how good he's been running and has been in the mix. Yes, indeed. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm really anxious uh, to see how this continues to play out. Uh, Cole Moore, of course, is uh, uh, just 11 points behind Jesse Love, and uh, there's a lot more racing left to do here. So although they are counting down to the end of the season now, uh, it is going to be interesting to see how it plays out, Jay. It certainly is, because we mentioned that just uh, one bad hiccup, and I know we'll, we'll cross that when we get to the the Xfinity series and talk about that of how close it is when you're you're talking about these points battles and how much each position matters, how much each race matters. Here in the West, we're going to have about eight races, I believe, on their schedule. So Mm -hmm. how important those ends, especially those victories. And now Jesse Love asserting himself and picking up two, kind of setting that tone. You know, I'm the defending champion for a reason. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Another driver who uh, uh, has had a lot of wins this year, is Ty Gibbs, and he conquered Michigan for his eighth Arkham and Art Series win of the year. So that's pretty amazing as well. Uh, just 18 years old and uh, at a track that he uh, is a new track for him, he comes home with a victory. So uh, he did what he's best at, and that's going out and winning. He led almost every lap from the pole position in the Henry Ford Health Systems 200 at Michigan International Speedway uh, in route to his eighth victory this year. Uh, the win comes uh, in Gibbs' very first trip to the 
track in the Irish Hills and marks the back-to-back victories at the track for Joe Gibbs Racing. Riley Erbst won there in 2020, so uh, Joe Gibbs Racing uh, is setting a trend there. Uh, The win also ties him for the most victories in a single season over the last decade, but with six races to go this year, uh, including the upcoming race that took place on Sunday, uh, that number is likely to increase. I don't see him slowing down, do you? No, most certainly not. And I know we've had this discussion uh, both offline as well as kind of in hot topics. Yes, he is with a good team and in a good car, but you also got to have the talent, and he is displaying it. You mentioned first time at a track uh, at Michigan, a two-mile track like that to come out and be that dominant uh, just shows his talent, and we've seen him do that in everything he's run in, uh, Xfinity Series as well, to be able to come out and Mm -hmm. do that. Uh, You know, yes, the car is important, obviously, no matter what your talent. If you don't have the car with speed, you can't do it, and vice versa. You can have the car and not the talent. It's not going to work real well either. So it takes that whole combination, and Ty Gibbs has it. He definitely does, and there's two things to point out. A lot of these tracks he's never raced at before. That's amazing. And then it's not just for speedway type tracks. It's the short tracks. It's the intermediate tracks. It's every track he's – it's the road courses. It doesn't matter uh, for Ty Gibbs, and it doesn't matter that he's never been there before. He goes out there. He does what he feels he needs to do, and he gets the job done. It's amazing. Yeah, you, you hit it on the head there of, of the range of tracks he has done it on. We've seen that where certain drivers do good at short tracks, some at super speedway, some at road courses. And you're right, it doesn't seem to matter for him or whether or not he's been there and how quickly he picks it up. And I just think back to, uh, to Chase Elliott in the Cup Series when you talk about Road America. Hadn't been there through the first half of the race, said he had to learn the track, find his marks. Ty Gibbs seems to be doing it uh, a little bit quicker. I mean, you know, because he's starting up front and and dominating. So I don't know if that goes back to uh, sim time or watching race videos. I know a lot of drivers say you can learn a lot by watching that. Whatever he's doing, he is picking it up in a hurry. He is. Um, now, the two championship rivals, including Corey Heim, have finished one two in five races so far this season. Gibbs getting the better of Heim just three times. The good news for Arca fans is they don't have to wait long uh, because they were able to watch another race on Sunday, and Corey Heim came up as the winner in that race. Uh, But uh, to continue the finishing order here in this race, uh, tying his best career finish of third was Nick Sanchez for Rev Racing, with Sam Mayer, Kyle Sieg, uh, rounding out the rest of the top five there. Then it was Greg Van Alst, Morgan Baird, Thad Moffat, Jeffrey McSink, Brandon Barney, rounding out the top ten. So uh, some interesting names in that group. Well, and if you didn't get a chance to watch, and this one I had to, had to listen to the recaps, there was uh, some issues, uh, some top drivers taken out with uh, – situation during the race so yeah we're seeing some different names in the top 10 there as Sharon ran it down 
Um, but again, that's not taking away from how talented they are. It's just the drivers that are up there, Ty Gibbs, Corey Heim, a little more experience, a little more, uh, I don't want to say more talent, just a little bit better opportunity and situations. But you see these guys, when they get the opportunity, being able to get in there and mix it up with them uh, at the top level. Yeah, I think the big uh, contact for the day, though, was between Thad Moffat and Drew Dollar. Uh, and that happened on the, the very opening lap. Uh, the number 46 Ford uh was forced to pit road with damage uh just over 20 laps later had additional contact with uh, drew dollar sending the number 15 spinning and collecting tim richmond who had nowhere to go so that was uh uh kind of a, a rivalry battle i think uh that was going on there with drew dollar and uh Thad Moffitt, and ultimately with Tim Richmond, who was kind of the innocent victim in all of this. Right, and that's what I heard through some of the uh, the discussion post-race, uh, especially at a track like Michigan. Uh, really, really dangerous game you're playing there when you come to retaliation, taking somebody out, or getting a little too aggressive on a super speedway like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I know... You know, drivers, I understand, heat of the moment, you know, split-second decisions. Uh, obviously, you're frustrated, but you got to be really careful about that. Yeah, like you said, there were some hurt feelings, some bent fenders. Uh, not sure about the carryover as we move forward, whether or not they'll text each other or uh, settle it before they get to the next race. Yeah, I think Tim Richmond uh, is actually going to be out for a while. Uh, Alex Club because they formed a, a race team together. Alex Club came out and indicated that he had a broken tibia, and uh, it means that uh, Tim Richmond is not going to be able to race uh, probably for the rest of the season. And that's the unfortunate side of it. When you talk about something like this happening, uh, you understand the two drivers got issues with each other. They want to settle it. But when you settle it on the track like that, it involves more than just your team and that other team. And you mentioned Tim Richmond caught up in it, uh, innocent victim, nowhere to go, couldn't avoid it. And now it's not only affecting that race, but his season. And I didn't, I didn't hear how long he was going to be out. I heard that there was a possibility of some broken bones. So a very unfortunate situation for Tim Richmond. Yes, it was. All right. I'm going to go ahead now and move to the next, uh, race, and then we'll cover the series point standings, Jay. Uh, Corey Heim, as I mentioned earlier, uh, came out as the winner at the Springfield Dirt Track uh, in the Allen Crow 100 at the Illinois Faith. Started on the pole. He led all but a handful of laps during the 100-lap feature on the one-mile clay oval. Uh, the only slip-up came moments before the second scheduled break of the race, while trying to lap Mike Goody. Uh, so Heim, uh, Heim, the race's only leader at that point, caught Goody in the center uh, between turns three and four and contacted Goody's left rear. That resulted in a dented right front bumper for Heim while Goody was spinning, spinning I mean, and destroying the nose of his number 11 car. So that put Heim back into third place, 
while Taylor Gray then took the lead and Ty Gibbs moved into second. On the next restart, Gray was able to pull away with the lead, but Heim did retake second ahead of the break. So, uh, and as we know, he ultimately took over the first uh, spot as well. And this is what we've talked about all year, the back and forth between these two. Uh, and I'm glad you had the numbers there, how many times they finished one, two, with Ty Gibbs having that slight advantage. But then you look at the points as well as the race wins. I mean, it's been all those two, just the back and forth mm-hmm. between those two alone has made this series uh, interesting to watch as you see those two going to battle it out all the way to the end. Exactly. Uh, When Jesse Love stayed out under a break, electing to take track position instead of new tires, uh, that put him on the front row for the final dash to the finish, with Gray to his outside, and Heim uh, was behind Gray, and Gibbs was in fourth place. So uh, that's how close it was between them on that restart. Heim did get a good restart, and thanks to the repairs made by his venturing team, under the break, he rocketed past love for the lead and never looked back after that. So Gibbs followed Heim through and finished second, while Gray finished third and Love fell to fifth. Uh, the defending race winner, Ryan Unsiger, uh, was optimistic, but he actually uh, entered the contest qualifying ninth but had an engine issue that cut his day uh, short after just 23 laps. Uh, rounding out the Lead lap finishers were Will Kimmel, Stauer, uh, actually finished fourth. Okay, and the rest of the drivers were Will Kimmel, Landon Lewis, Tim Monroe, Tony Bridinger, and D.L. Wilson rounding out the top ten there. So, uh, yeah, pretty pretty interesting finish. And you see, talk about Jesse Love, we talked about him uh We've seen some other drivers do this, not just go from the uh, Arkham and Ard Series ran Michigan um, Friday night and then over to Illinois on Sunday. Jesse Love coming off of his victory out in Irvindale, California, coming over and getting a top five finish. And again, he's just looking mm-hmm. for seat time, track time, anywhere he can get it. And that's there again, to me, shows that talent uh, coming across the it's country, getting in another good. car and getting that top five finish. Let's talk about how tight the points are, Jay. All right. Move over and pull that up here for the Arkham Menard series. Mentioned that the top two, uh, I can't see it coming out any different here unless one of these drivers <laughs> has a major hiccup uh, in the final event. Uh, it is now Ty Gibbs with a one-point advantage after both of the races over the weekend. It's back down to a one-point advantage for Ty Gibbs. He's got 762, Corey Heim at 761. Uh, 15 races in the books. Ty Gibbs has eight wins and 14 top fives, thus 14 top tens. Corey Himes has got the six wins, uh, 14 top fives, has that one additional top ten. He's been in the top ten every race. And that's the, the two wins. Uh, versus that top 10 finish where Ty Gibbs was outside the top 10 has what is what has kept it so close. Uh, but you see there the mix, the mix between those two, 14 out of the 15 races that they've won combined between the two. 
uh, Daniel Dye being the other one to pick one up earlier in the year. And we are now down to only those two drivers, uh, Ty Gibbs and Corey Haim, having started all 15 races. Mentioned Thad Moffitt and then Nick Sanchez. And I don't know the reason they weren't. I thought they were on the uh, pre-entry list anyway, but we're not in that race. Uh, Moffitt's might have been due to the incident on Friday at Michigan. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, this is a very, very tight battle. It's going to be fun to watch. Uh, and I'm sure that a lot of these guys will be backed into it. Uh, but the point spread is so big now between seconds and, and third uh, that you're right. It's going to be have to be something major uh, in order for anybody to catch up with uh, these two drivers. Uh, so this is a battle between Joe Gibbs Racing and Venturing Motorsports. And uh, uh, what I find interesting, Jay, is that the average start for Ty Gibbs is a point one, with an average finish of 3.5. But when you look at Corey Heimstack, his average start is 3.5, but his average finish is 2.3. Uh, both of them, then, you mentioned that Ty Gibbs above him at the average finish of 3.5 with that one non-top 10 finish. But think about that. Over 15 races, your average finish is second or third. Uh, Ty Gibbs at the mm-hmm. 3.5, Corey Heim at 2.3. Over 15 races, that is unbelievable between the two of them. And you mentioned how many times they've finished, five times they've finished, one, two between the two of them. Well, in a third of the races. So, yeah, that's, that's really an amazing season for both of those drivers. And they are both very, very competitive. Now, we, we haven't heard an official announcement, but we do expect Ty Gibbs to move up into the Xfinity Series full-time. Uh, it's been heavily alluded to, but nothing officially announced. With the number of starts and the, what he's done in performance-wise this year already in the, in the limited starts, uh, you can't imagine him not moving up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I would say the same thing is true with Corey Heim. I I know they're talking about him going to Ty going to Xfinity Series, but I would not be surprised to see Corey Heim going to the Truck Series and possibly racing some Xfinity races next year as well. We've seen him get uh, a couple of starts, I know, in the Truck Series, and you're right. Uh, I think a team has to look at, and I know sponsorship deals come along with it, but if a Truck Series team or possibly even an Xfinity Series is looking for the young driver to bring along, Corey Heim has to be at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Now, our next, is there anything else you think we should talk about? I always like to refer people to go to the Arca uh, website at arcaracing.com. Uh, they always have some great articles there. All of the recaps are there. Uh, they've got a photo gallery of the races. Uh, the sweet move of the race. Info is there. Uh, Kyle Steig, by the way, got a big save at Michigan. So he got one of the Reese's sweet moves to the race. Um, so, and there's features on, on all three of these drivers, uh, as well as uh, Toyota. Did you know that Toyota clinched the 2021 Arkham Menard Series champ- Manufacturers Championship? Because both Joe Gibbs Racing and Venturini Motorsports runs 
Toyota. Yeah, I know when we talked, I didn't realize it coming into the race, but when we talked about it on the preview show on Thursday of that, uh, that it was pretty much a done deal. And when you got two Toyota drivers taking 14 out of 15 victories, yeah, it's tough for anybody else to get any, anything <laughs> in edgewise. Exactly. Uh, Justin Agauer from the Xfinity Series was able to race at the Springfield Mile, and that was pretty cool to see. He's an Illinois resident, so uh, it's in Illinois. And uh, I think it's really cool that he makes it a point to race at the Springfield Mile. Yeah, that was one of the the good storylines coming in and good coming out as he got a top five finish. Uh, To see these drivers that do come back uh, on the chance they get off weekend, whatever it be, that they get the chance to run uh, not only hometown and a hometown track, but back in the Arkham Menard series, you know, where a lot of them did get their start or that's where they made their name or brought their name forward uh, to come back and provide for the fans and help support that series and this next generation of drivers. Yes, indeed. Okay, we're going to go ahead now and move on to the truck series race. Uh, They were not at Michigan with the Xfinity and and Cup Series. They went to the Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway near St. Louis. And Creed, this was the first race of their season um, uh, playoff. And Sheldon Creed came home as the winner. In fact, he dominated the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series opener. uh, And uh, he swept both of the stages, leading 142 of 163 laps uh, on his way to that victory. Uh, And it was, in fact, an overtime victory. So uh, I'm sure that made it exciting as well. Uh, Let's see. Creed paced the field, uh, as I mentioned, with 142 laps led. Uh, the win was the second of the season, uh, and uh, second of the season and the second win at Gateway and the seventh of his entire career. Creed won stages one and two and appeared to be on his way to the second straight win, uh, but a late caution forced the race to go into overtime. Uh, so Creed chose the outside lane to restart from the inside, but it was Creed who pulled ahead as he had all night long and set the pace for the final two laps. Crafton came in second, followed by Ben Rhodes, Stuart Friesen, Johnny Sauter, Chase Purdy, what a great finish for him, Haley Diggin with a top 10 finish, Carson Hosevar with a top 10 finish, uh, along with Austin Wayne Self and Jack Wood. So, again, names that we wouldn't normally see uh, right up in there in the top ten. Uh, Deegan's seventh-place finish was the first of her career, uh, making her only the fourth woman to earn a top ten in truck competition. So playoff drivers, uh, some of them had issues throughout the night at the Illinois track. Uh, including Chandler Smith. He had a problem with his rear hub. Zane Smith had an issue with his transmission uh, and had mechanical issues in the opening stages. Uh, Just as stage three got underway, Austin Hill, Todd Gilliland, and Carson Holtzavar were all involved in a multi-truck incident. So again, with 30 laps remaining, the regular season champion, John Hunter Nemechek, 
pulled behind the wall after he reported that something was broke. Uh, that something turned out to be a brake loader, and the night uh, was just not a challenging one for the playoff drivers, uh, but the racetrack itself. The race uh, had a red flag period uh, just shy of an hour after a fire outside of the racetrack knocked out all the power with some lights and timing and scoring down. Uh, the race was stopped while crews worked to restore the power. There were five lead changes among three drivers and eight cautions for 37 yellow flag laps, and the average speed of the race was 80.684 miles per hour. Uh, Sheldon Green won the eighth annual Toyota 200, again, his seventh victory in 69 truck series starts. Uh, second victory in eighth top ten finish this year, and the second victory in third top ten finish in three races at Gateway. Matt Crafton posted his tenth top ten finish in 18 races at Gateway, and his eighth top ten finish this year. Ben Rhodes uh, posted his fourth top ten finish in six races at Gateway. Haley Deegan was the highest finishing rookie. Uh, and is the third best finish by a female competitor in the Truck Series history, and she becomes the fourth different female to finish inside the top ten all time. She joins Natalie Decker, who came in fifth at Daytona last year. Uh, Jennifer Jo Cobb was sixth at Daytona in 2011. Angela Ruck uh, finished eighth at Daytona in 2019. So uh, some interesting uh storylines there, Jay. Yeah, you got the good, the bad, and possibly the ugly all combined into this <laughs> one. Uh, you look at the stat line for Sheldon Creed, it shows domination, but he did have some company up there with him all race long. He just managed to hold them off, and then at the end, uh, not playing out well. And I look at Zane Smith. He had led twice for uh, 19 laps ended up finishing 35th with the rear gear problem is what it lists. And then you mentioned the accident. Todd Gillen, another one that was having a great top five run, going to be a contender, uh, unfortunately taken out. And I don't even know where to talk about with John Hunter Nemechek. He kind of struggled throughout the race, was able to work his way back towards the front and recover, and then I think was partially involved in that accident, able to drive away from it, but the, whatever damage was do, done uh, resurfaced later in the uh, in the event where he did have to go behind the wall uh, for that. So that allows some of these drivers you mentioned to capitalize on it. Uh, mentioned Sheldon Creed winning. That's not a surprise. Defending race winner. We knew he was good there. Coming in as a, as a strong contender for the championship anyway. Sets himself up now for this postseason run. Matt Crafton, Ben Rhodes, and Stuart Friesen. Well, so you're correct, uh, defending, going to try and defend his championship. I know everybody looking at John Hunter Nemechek with the regular season he had as that odds-on favorite compared to last year, Kevin Harvick. That doesn't always mean a whole lot. Right. Um, look at Matt Crafton, Ben Rhodes, and Stuart Friesen. Uh, first through fourth there were championship contenders. And then Carson Hosevar in the A spot uh, as a rookie that made it. Those five are, are the good five of the playoff drivers. I mentioned John Hunter Nemechek, Chandler Smith, 28th, Todd Gillen, 29th, and then you get down to Zane Smith. 
So that's where, especially to start this round, I look at Stuart Friesen uh, coming in at the bottom of the point standings, as well as Carson Hosevar. They really needed that. Not only a good run, but a little bit of bad luck, unfortunately, on the other side to kind of equal that out. Because if they're behind when they start the playoffs and you're running the same or top five with everybody else, you're not gaining. So they needed that to gain or that victory. But Sheldon Creed wasn't going to let them take the victory. Yeah, keep in mind, though, too, that drivers like Johnny Sauter and Austin Winsell, Haley Deegan, those guys are racing for that top spot outside the top ten. So they want to finish 11th if they can. And so this is a good start for them in that competition. And they talked about this throughout the broadcast of drivers that aren't in the playoffs. They still want to race for wins. They're racing for their team, their personal uh, year of looking for wins. Johnny Sauter having a great run. Uh, started 20th, but finished top five and really did have a solid truck throughout the entire event. Um, you know, kind of a rough season for him not making the playoffs. Great run you mentioned for Chase Purdy as well as Haley Deegan. And then Jack Wood in that 21, another one that got a top 10 finish, uh, maybe a 15th place truck, maybe even as far back as 20th, but stayed out of trouble when all the stuff went down, able to get through it and capitalize. You know, that's a big thing when you talk about that of a, of a finish that's maybe unexpected. You got to be in the right position, avoid the wrecks and still have the, the truck yourself to be able to capitalize on the other misfortunes of other drivers to get that good finish. So you're right. That's yeah, a big boost a, for those teams and their seasons. Yeah, just a real quick point of clarification. Zane Smith drives the number 21, and Jack Wood was actually in the number 24. Uh, you're right. I, I'm sorry. I read the starting position there under Jack Wood's uh, stat line. Uh, he started 21st in the 24 truck and then finished 10th. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, you make a, you make some really great points though because uh, all of these guys are racing for something. Uh, they still answer to their sponsors. They still answer to their teams, and uh, they want to get the best finish they possibly can. And this was an opportunity to do that, and they capitalized. So uh, you really got to give people kudos for that. That goes back again to putting yourself in the right position at the end of this race. Uh, to be able to capitalize, did that, and, and I give them kudos for it. And I know that, that NASCAR talks about this in the driver meeting prior to playoff races. They are not asking these other teams to pull over and let championship drivers buy them by any means, but you do want to at least be more respectful uh, towards them, uh, being that they are battling for the championship. Again, racing is racing. Things are going to happen. Uh, and I'm trying to think back with all the ones that were involved in the, in the wreck. Uh, it was a mixture, um, but I can't say it was one. And another one, I want to give a shout-out here. Uh, unfortunately, again, didn't get the finish. But Derek Krause had a really strong truck running in the top ten at the time, uh, being respectful to the playoff drivers, but really did have a shot at, at a top five, if not even possibly the victory there at Gateway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I really like seeing that for uh, Derek uh, Cross for sure. Okay, let's go ahead and cover the series point standings here. Uh, a couple of drivers are below the cut line. We knew that was going to happen. 
We just didn't know which drivers it was going to be. Well, and it did shuffle up a little bit. So we'll start at the top. You got uh, John Hunter Namachek, still your points leader, but has started with such a bigger gap. It is now a two-point gap as he's got 2073, Sheldon Creed now at 2071. And Creed is locked into the next round with that victory. Uh, for this first round, I, I see almost an impossible way for John Hunter Nemechek not to advance. Uh, go back to Ben Rhodes is now at 2070, is three points back from the lead. Matt Crafton at 2051, a little over 20 points. Stuart Friesen, this is a big jump for him. Uh, 2049 is now in the fifth spot. He came in as one of the two drivers that was going to be outside uh, or was mm-hmm. to start the playoffs. He's now in. Austin Hill, right about the same at 29.39. Carson Hosevar, he's the other one that made the jump up. Uh, I believe it was Friesen and Hosevar that were the two that were the bottom two. And actually, Sharon, help me out here. After this first round, did they cut two or three after the first round? Two. Two, okay, two. and then three after the second round. Okay, so I thought, I thought it was uh, Friesen and Hosevar that were on the outside. So that puts uh, yeah. Todd Gillen in the A spot at 20-28. He's kind of the cut line right now. Um, Zane Smith and Chandler Smith are the two that are going to be outside. Uh, Todd Gillen at 20-28. Zane Smith at 20-18, 10 points back. And then Chandler Smith at 18 back. And that's after only one race. So that's how important these points are. An unfortunate set of circumstances but that's the reason we have the playoffs. That's the way it goes. Exactly right. And uh, right now, Grant Finfinger sits in that 11th spot um, for in the series point standing. That's the one that all these guys that are outside uh, the top 10 are striving to be at. Well, I know we went through this multiple times throughout the uh the second half of the season here with Grant Enfinger had enough points where he was in the top 10, but missing one race, he was declined a waiver by NASCAR as far as being in the playoffs. So he has 15 races. Sharon mentioned he's in 11th spot, 426 points. Derek Krause is at 357 in 12th spot. They got some work to catch up to him. Again, he had a good run. Uh, the finish, not as great, but again, Derek Krause didn't really gain on him. Uh, we looked down at Johnny Sauter, Haley Deegan, uh, and Chase Purdy, the ones that had the good races that gained some points on him. But I think you're going to be tough to catch uh, Grant Infinger for that 11th spot. I really yeah, do. It's not, yeah, I think you're right. I haven't looked at those points, but you're right. It's significant, and uh, Grant Infinger. So uh, let's put it this way. Those guys are looking for that number 12 spot. Well, well, we'll have to wait and see. Again, we've seen some good good runs by some of these other drivers, but again, I can't say it enough. Of if you're having a good run and you're the guy you're chasing is having a good run or even an okay run, you're not gaining that much. It takes that you having a great race, them having a bad race, to really close a gap like that, as it is almost 75 points. Exactly right. All right. Um, so we've gotten through. Uh, anything else that we want to report on the uh, truck series um, before we move on to the Xfinity series? 
No, it's a, quite an interesting race, and we knew it would be for a worldwide race race technology. I know we might talk about that in Hot Topics. I saw something pop up on that as it pertains to the Cup Series, which I find very intriguing. So uh, I know Mike put that up here uh, this afternoon or evening. Uh, going to be interesting when we talk about that. Is that involving the Truck Series? No, possibly the Cup Series, the way it was sounded. Oh, okay. Because I'm looking I was here. Just talking about... They made a crew chief change at Thor Sport Racing for the Gateway Race, and that might explain why Johnny Sauter had uh, a better finish. Uh, Joe Shear Jr., Johnny Sauter's longtime crew chief, moved to the number 66 for Ty Majeski this weekend. Uh, so Friday night's uh, uh, Sauter's team will be led by Vance Heffley. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. But he had a new crew chief. You know, I do I do recall that storyline there going into that race, and that is one of those of not quite the level of Jimmy Johnson, Chad Knauss, but the two of them have right. been a pairing for a long time. But we've seen over the past year or two Johnny Sauter uh, struggling uh, so that is one of those where maybe it was the time of that had run its course and needed to be a change. Right. And just to kind of give a preview of uh, what, what we may be talking about at uh, Hot Topics tonight, uh, this was the first time that the gate, race of the Gateway, it was a playoff race. So I thought that was pretty cool to see. But uh, the other announcement that came out is that NASCAR is in discussions with Gateway about possibly Cup Series racing there. So that's going to be an interesting hot topic conversation. And and that's what I was referring to that Mike put up. But you bring up a great point, Sharon, of that Gateway uh, Worldwide Racing Technology, Worldwide Technology Raceway. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've messed that up. being the first WWE. race in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, then I'm afraid I'm going to say WWE. That's why I was trying to stay away from that. <laughs> but um, them being that first race in the truck series playoff, that kind of attention, the possibility now of talking about cup series that we'll get into in hot topics, uh, that market and that track really has performed a great short track. The truck series have always put on great races there. So, yeah, I do think that it's getting some attention that, that NASCAR's taken a look at it. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. And uh, I can't wait to see what the final decision is. I hope they do bring the Cup and or the Xfinity Series to Gateway. Um, so but we'll have to wait and see what happens. Okay, let's go ahead and move on now to the Xfinity Series race at Michigan. Uh, they did race on Saturday afternoon. A.J. Allmendinger uh, won a triple overtime thriller at Michigan. He started in front of an enthusiastic uh, Michigan stand, uh, grandstand after his victory burnout. Uh, he, the, the crowd was actually shouting, Jay, A.J., 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 so that had to be pretty exciting for A.J. Allmendinger to have that kind of support out there at Michigan. 
It really was. If if you can find a clip of that, his post-race celebration, uh, yeah, it does bring tears to your eyes for a driver like that. Uh, He was so excited, uh, so pumped up, and he's going to have such an impact on these playoffs. Yeah, he is. He he did lead a race high 70 laps uh, to win the New Holland 250 in a triple overtime. Uh, It brings Allgaier to three wins of the season. It was his second NASCAR win in the last six days because, if you remember, he won the inaugural cup race on the Indianapolis road course just last week. So Brandon Jones tied his best finish of the season with a second-place finish. Noah Gregson in third. Josh Berry finishing fourth. Harrison Burton to round out the top five. Then it was Justin Algauer finishing in sixth. Riley Earps, and a great finish for Riley. Brett Earps, I'm sorry, Brett Moffat, Jade Bluford, and Bubba Wallace round out the top ten. Now, a lot of people are wondering, where's Austin Sindrick? Well, he won the opening stage, but he was involved in a multi-car pileup at the beginning of the second stage. So Almendinger picked up an, uh, an additional playoff point by winning stage two. Uh, there were 13 lead changes among six drivers. There were nine cautions for 43 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 115.619 miles per hour. It was the 29th annual New Holland 250 and the 8th victory in 49 Xfinity Series races for A.J. Allmendinger. Uh, again, his third victory and 15th top 10 finish this year, and his first victory and first top 10 finish in his series debut at Michigan. Brandon Jones posted his fourth top 10 finish in five races at Michigan and his 12th top 10 finish this year. Noah Gregson, uh, posting his second top 10 finish in two races at Michigan. Josh Berry was fourth. He's the highest finishing rookie. And this was Colleague Racing's 11th victory in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. So that's pretty cool as well. Uh, again, some great storylines. So many. And we got to start at the top with A.J. Allmendinger. Uh, the ride of momentum he is on right now, Colic Racing, uh, performing at such a top level. Uh, and I know you can make the argument, depending on how that accident had played out, uh, Austin Sendrick was up there contending as well. Uh, but A.J. Allmendinger did lead on his own four, four times for 70 laps. So it wasn't like he got a victory handed to him. He was up there running. And I'm trying to look mm-hmm. here. There, Sendrick yeah, had led once for right 12 time. Time. He was third, I think, when that accident took place. Yeah, you're right. And he, I mean, he, uh, I don't want to say barely got through it, but it was no picnic, so he could have just as easily been mm-hmm. involved in it. Um, you mentioned great run for Brandon Jones. Talked about Noah Gregson. Uh, the season turnaround he has had, uh, I think, could be a huge factor here in the playoffs. Now, they're not quite ready to start their playoffs. I believe they got four or five races left here as we come down mm-hmm. to their their playoffs. Josh Berry, uh, yet again, filling in for the number one of Michael Annette. Uh, the unfortunate side, uh, Annette had to uh, sit out yet another race. We'll talk about where he's at. He with had the, some uh, amazing passes. 
most definitely. Uh, he put on a show, stepping into yet again a, a different ride. Uh, I know he's been in that number one before, uh, but he did uh, almost a show by himself uh, throughout parts mm-hmm. of that race. He did. What he was able to do, that one, I saw him come up through the middle, and it was unbelievable. It was like everybody else was standing still. They they talked about that uh, of maybe the one that was bravest when it talked uh, hooking up onto that resin uh, and using it to his advantage, knowing how to use it. And then you mentioned it uh, of cutting through traffic, of coming off of it with the great run and being able to split between cars or make the passes, the timing of it, uh, just unbelievable driving there by Josh Berry. Mm-hmm. Then you got uh, oh. Harrison Burton, Allgaier, good runs, solid runs for them as playoff contenders. I think Riley Herbst has won, uh, not having had the best of seasons coming in right towards the bottom of the cut line. If he's not 12th, he's right there. Um, so great run for him, the great confidence booster, as they kind of are now just starting to turn their season around, if you will. But then Brett Moffitt, mm-hmm. Jay Buford, and Bubba Wallace. Now, we've seen Moffitt have some great runs with that O2R Motorsports. We've seen he could pick up a victory and be right on that 20, top 20 cut line that you also have to be in. Uh, it'd be one of those amazing storylines if he were to come up with a victory and jump up into the top 12 from 18th, 19th spot. Uh, Jade Buford, rookie, great finish for him in the number 48, finishing ninth. And then Bubba Wallace, another one, uh, stepping into the number 61 at a track he's known to run well at, and he showed why he got the uh, call to fill in in that role, uh, coming from the 36th starting spot all the way up to 10th. Yeah, really, really a great run for him. And we've seen his name up in the top 10 a couple of times this year, so you got to give some kudos there. Now, the one storyline outside of the top ten I think we need to talk about, and, and I think the uh, broadcast did a good job of it, Ty Gibbs uh, driving here, getting another start in the Xfinity Series, started mm-hmm. 10th, finished 13th, had a rough day, didn't have the best car, did not dominate out front. To go through that, especially when, not to say every race has been a cakewalk, but being out front, to uh, they compared it to uh, talking about Kyle Busch of learning to accept where your car is and handle it, not then lose your frustration, overdrive it, and wreck it. So I think Ty Gibbs mm-hmm. did a good job of not having a great car, still finishing 13th and being able to take that uh, as a learning lesson of not every day is going to be a perfect day. Yeah, because remember, he won the ARCA race there on Friday. So uh, I'm sure he was disappointed to come in in 13th place. But you got to you got to you work with the equipment that you have, and uh, it goes to show you that those ARCA races um, are a lot different than racing in the Xfinity series. So uh, I'm sure he had good equipment, uh, but he was against uh, a, a larger number of people that were stiff competition for sure. And then, unfortunately, we got to talk about a couple of bad situations. Uh, talking about the wreck, Austin Sendrick finished 37th. Talk a little bit more about that when we get to the point standings. Uh, Brandon Brown finishing dead last. I know he had a situation uh, of his own, 
Daniel Hemrick, another one involved in that wreck, um, finishing 39th, second to last. Myatt Schneider, and I know Schneider was in the middle of it. I I wouldn't say it was uh, his fault, but uh, maybe a little bit of an inexperience as he got caught up in in losing the air on his car and bouncing around, and that's kind of what created it, if you will. Mm-hmm. Some of those guys Looking are playoff those... contenders. I think all of them are. They they are uh, again the Xfinity series unless we get a winner from uh, down the stretch. We'll talk about that here in just a minute with the point standings. Jeb Burton, I know this was one that uh, the broadcast team questioned their decision. They tried to uh, run a little bit too far on fuel, and at Michigan, you really don't want to make that mistake. As he ran out just mm-hmm. as he passed the uh, the start finish line, or, uh, I'm sorry, the entrance to pit road. And that's where he ran out. So a two-mile trip around uh, Michigan on low field, no field, barely running, cost you about, what did it say, two to three laps, I think. <laughs> yeah, that that hurt. Um, we'll have to see what they do. They're not into their playoffs yet, but they have a few races left to determine uh, their playoff drivers. So uh, Austin Cindric, I don't think, is going to be hurt by this. Um, Brandon Brown is the one who probably is hurt the most in all of this, and maybe Maya Snyder. Well, and talking about Jeb Burton, and that's why I don't know that I fully agree with the the criticism, and it wasn't a heavy criticism. They just questioned the call for Jeb Burton. He is pretty much locked into the playoffs when it comes around. So, yeah, I took a gamble maybe trying to uh, to pick up the win or, or some stage points in the win and get the bonus points built up. But you also kind of lose some momentum. So it, it was a tough call. It, unfortunately, it did happen the way it did. Uh, I don't know if they were saying they were going to come in the next lap. But it does take away from, A, a good finish and thus momentum. Uh, even if they didn't get playoff points, you still want to be finishing in the top ten week in and week out as you get into the playoffs yeah. and riding that momentum. Absolutely, and we'll get into that when we talk about the points here. Uh, in fact, why don't we go ahead and... Uh... We'll say this. I can't say it hurt him drastically, but it did affect the top of the board as far as Austin Sindrick and A.J. Allmendinger. Uh, Austin Sindrick had, I believe, an 80-something point lead. It is now down to 35, and I believe there's four races left. We saw this at the at the cup level that could affect the regular season championship, which is a difference of 15 and 10 points, uh, playoff points. Now, if Almendinger continues on his hot streak and can close up that 35-point gap and take that lead from Austin Sindrick, he gets that five extra points over Austin Sindrick, which equates to another win when it comes to playoff points. So mm-hmm. uh, it did hurt him, uh, obviously. shows how important those playoff points are because right now Austin Sindrick has 34 play, playoff points and A.J. Allmendinger is 35 points back. Without those playoff points, he'd be one point back. That, you're right. And, and when they reseed, it's going to be even at, uh, bigger, uh, especially, like I said, if Allmendinger were to get to 15 and Sindrick 10, that closes it up that five more. So what mm-hmm. bigger gap, I believe – uh, Almendinger was at uh, 16 or 17 because I think he, you said he got a stage win. 
So that's six points difference when it comes to starting the playoffs. And if Sindrick had finished up there, it would have maybe even been a little bigger. So uh, with Sindrick possibly, possibly getting the win. But he is mm-hmm. still your points leader. Five wins, nine stages. So he's got 34 playoff points built up. Almendinger, Sharon mentioned, picked up his third victory, has eight stages, now sits at 23 playoff points. And here's where the difference comes in. Allgaier, two wins, one stage, goes back is 11 playoff points. Hemrick, this one, again, he didn't hurt him, but it didn't, it didn't help his cause. No wins. The five stages only has five playoff points. Uh, Harrison Burton, another one, has two stage wins for two playoff points. Haley, four stages for four playoff points. Noah Gregson, uh, climbing in the standings, but needs to either pick up some playoff points or a victory, as he only has two. Uh, Jeb Burton mentioned he does have the one race win for five playoff points in eighth. Brandon Jones put on a good showing, has one stage win for one playoff point. And then your bottom two here for the cut line, uh, Jeremy Clements uh, doesn't have any stage wins or playoff points, nor does Riley Herbst in 11th. The actual cut line is 12th place Mayat Snyder, and he does have a victory, so that really puts uh, Riley Herbst as the one in danger, if you will. Michael Annette Mm -hmm. is now 13th. He has missed four races but is eligible for the playoff waiver. So if he can get a victory in these final four races, and I don't know, I hadn't heard, uh, Sharon, do you know if he's supposed to be back here in these final four? If he's going to have to continue to sit out. Okay. Yeah, I haven't heard uh, so that yet, may so be a we'll possibility that he has to sit, sit out some more. Well, and Daytona being a Daytona, it's probable, I would guess, that that is one he is going to probably sit out if he's still uh, nursing that injury. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is in 13th and, and is eligible. Ty Gibbs is in 14th, not eligible. Uh, impressive season, 12 starts, three wins and two top, uh, or three, sorry, three wins and two stage wins. Uh, that doesn't apply for him, though. Sharon mentioned Brandon Brown. He's now at 438 points. Like I said, he actually has to catch Myatt Schneider, I'm sorry, Riley Herbst, who's at 520. Four races for 150 points. Uh, that'd be four great races and uh, four bad races for Riley Herb. So uh, he's going to be looking for the victory pretty much. Then we get down to Josh Berry's not eligible. 17 starts, does have uh, one win and a play or a stage win. But Ryan Sieg, Tommy Joe Martins, Alex LeBlay, and Landon Castle are your top 20 that if they were to get the win, would move them up as long as they stay in the top 20 in points. And I mentioned Brett Moffitt. He has all 22 starts. He is 23rd in points. So he not only would have to get the victory, but also move into the top 20 in points. So in that case, a victory for Moffitt does not yet lock him in. He's got to get to the top 20 in points. That's amazing. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be a showdown. Uh, for these next races for the Xfinity Series. I think it is four or five races that they have left. And uh, that's going to be nip and tuck, if you will, for a lot of these drivers, uh, these next four races. 
the intensity just ramps up the closer we get to their final race. And I'm I'm pulling up the schedule now to tell you exactly how many races they have left. I can, uh, I can get it if you'd like. We at Michigan. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Okay, yeah, I, I, we were on the same wavelength. That's what I had pulled up while, while you were wrapping up there. Uh, coming up to Daytona, then Darlington on September 4th. September 11th will be Richmond Raceway. And then Bristol on September 17th. And that's where their playoffs finish. And then they'll start their playoffs in Las Vegas on September 25th. So they do have four races left um, before they start their playoffs. And a lot can change in that. Talk about somebody picking up a victory. A.J. Allmendinger, less than 40 points out, only needs 10 points per race to catch Austin Sindrick for that uh, regular season championship. We're going to have to see how that plays out, as well as anybody else in the middle there. We talked about Daniel Hemrick, Harrison Burton, not have Noah Gregson getting that first victory of the year and building their stage or uh, playoff points. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I get nervous just thinking about it. I can imagine how nervous uh, some of these guys are and uh, what they're going to have to do in these next few races in order to secure their spot in the playoffs. I think I mentioned earlier, a lot of it right now is keeping good, consistent runs, being on top of your game, and riding the momentum. You don't want to be coming off of bad finishes here going into the playoffs. Even if you're locked in in a secure position, say fourth, fifth, uh, that area, because if you're in that just riding along, there's other drivers that are capitalizing and gaining momentum. So you, you don't want to lose that right now for sure. No, no. You want to be the person that's gaining the momentum, not losing the momentum. And uh, if you, you got your mulligan if you had a bad race. Uh, well, actually, that's uh, if they had a bad – you can have a mulligan here or there. Let me put it that way. Uh, but at some point, you've got to kind of get back on the bike and uh, start racing uh, for your life, if you will. Uh, in order to to make things happen for you to be in the playoffs. So uh, it will be interesting to see how the cream rises to the top for the rest of this regular season. Not just there, but then, as you mentioned, getting into the playoffs, where we're really going to see that. uh, Hopefully uh, that first first round, you got yourself in a secure position. Mentioned in the truck series, John Hunter Nemechek had the bad, bad night. I don't think it's possible mm-hmm. he could be knocked out in the first round, but you're talking about the momentum everybody else is gaining and the stage points and playoff points they're building so that the next round mm-hmm. he doesn't even start with that big a gap. Exactly, exactly. So it's like putting yourself behind the eight ball to get started, and uh, that's not what you want to do going into the playoffs. So uh, look for John Hunter Nemechek to have a good run at this next race, um, because if it's another mulligan, then he's going to be in serious trouble. Uh, yeah, most certainly. Uh, and I, I don't see that. I, again, I don't, I'm not sure. Uh, John Hunter Nemechek with the truck series there, a former winner at that track, uh, really did just seem to be off even at the beginning of the race before the, uh, before the wreck being involved in that. 
he was not having a Kyle Busch Motorsports, John Hunter Nemechek type of race. Mm-hmm. So he'll bounce back. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to the NASCAR Cup Series. They uh, raced the Firekeepers Casino 400 on Sunday afternoon, and Ryan Blaney put Ford back into victory lane at Michigan. So he took the lead on a restart with eight laps left and held off a frantic field to earn his victory in, on Sunday at Michigan. Uh, the NASCAR Cup Series uh, regular Sona so this was the next to the last race. Uh, but those eight laps that were out front, where Blaney was out front, uh, and he was able to uh, uh, lead um, the afternoon, it was good enough to give him that second victory of the season uh, by a modern-day track margin of just point zero seven seven of a second over his teammate. William, or not his teammate, but over Hendrick Motorsports drivers, William Byron and Kyle Larson. So uh, we know that they were kind of on fire there for a little while. They're still running up front, uh, but uh, Ford was able to get out front to win this race. Uh, The win is the second win of the year, the first at Michigan, and his sixth career win. Byron finished second, followed by Kyle Larson. Then it was Kurt Busch, Denny Hamlin, Matt DiBenedetto with a good run, Kyle Busch, Chase Elliott, Brad Keselowski, and Martin Truex Jr. Now, Blaney took the lead uh, just after the final restart with seven laps remaining and held on over Byron and Larson through the final laps to win uh, by that narrow margin. First stage was won by Elliott. The second stage was run by Kyle Busch. There were 20 lead changes among 11 drivers and six cautions for 28, 29 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 142.476 miles per hour. Now, Blaney won the 53rd annual Firekeepers Casino 400 for his sixth victory in 223 Cup Series races. Again, his second victory and 13th top 10 finish this year. Uh, This is the first victory in six top 10 finish in 13 races at Michigan. While William Byron posted his second top 10 finish in seven races at Michigan this year. Kyle Larson in third posted his seventh top 10 finish in 13 events at Michigan. Chase Bristol, who finished 11th, was the highest finishing rookie. Uh, this was the seventh consecutive and 42nd overall victory for Ford in the NASCAR Cup Series at Michigan. So it's a Ford track. Uh, there's not much doubt there. Uh, today, the race was the closest margin of victory in the NASCAR Cup Series at Michigan since the inception of electronic scoring that started in 1993. Uh, Stuart Hawes racing driver Kevin Harvick actually clenched his spot into the Cup Series playoff on points. So he no longer has to worry. Uh, he is clenched for the playoff. Uh, you had to feel sorry, though, for Austin Dillon and the scuff up that he had with Brad Keselowski uh, because that put him on the outside looking in. 
Well, yeah, where to start on storylines with this one? Uh, <laughs> Got to give credit where credit is due, I guess. Start with the winner, Ryan Blaney, being in the right position, making the right move. And let me tell you something. I was very frustrated because my recording stopped with, uh, I believe, about that eight to nine laps to go. Oh, no. Uh, so I didn't actually get to see it. Yeah, uh, they went a little bit longer than uh, scheduled, and I didn't have it recorded uh, to record long. So quite a change there in those last laps. Uh, mentioned, uh, did listen to Sirius XM radio this morning. A huge factor here, and I think I want to put this up for hot topics, the choose line. I think they said Blaney was seventh, got to move up to the inside because everybody went to the high side, and he moved mm-hmm. up to seventh to start on the inside on that restart and made it work. So that choose line that was, was a huge factor move. there at Michigan. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, I think that will be a, be a hot topic. You talk about Ford versus Chevy, though. Uh, there were some Fords that were running good, and I look at down the line there, Matt Benedetto in sixth, started fourth, uh, finished sixth, was running up there as a contender, uh, pressured for the lead. Actually, it shows him having led one time for one lap. I didn't know if he ever got it at the line, but he was up there battling. His car faded a little bit, recovered for six. But other than that, Chevy's really did have control of that race. And you talk about it, Hendrick Motorsports. Uh, Kyle Larson, six times for 70 laps. William Byron, one for 18. Uh, Kurt Busch, his actually was only one for one lap. I thought he led more than that. Um, Chase Elliott, twice for 68 laps. So Chevy had control of the race, but it's when the checkered flag flies that it matters. Mm-hmm. That is so true. And, uh, you know, the, the, the lead, there were so many drivers uh, that were in the lead. Chase Elliott, it looked like he was in a, a great position to win that race for a while. Brad Keselowski, who was up there. Kyle Larson. A lot of people thought Kyle Larson was going to be the guy to beat uh, at this race. Um, but uh, Chase Briscoe had a good run. I think that's a good sign for uh, Stuart Haas Racing. Uh, Kevin Harvick was up there a few times. Uh, he ultimately finished in 14th place, though. But uh, just, uh, just a lot of different storylines were developing throughout the entire race. Martin and run it, running Jr. down that to fuck. Go ahead. I was going to say, Martin Truex Jr. was racing outside the top 10 for a good part of the race, but was actually able to race into the top five there for a while. Yeah, and got the 10th place finish. Um, To follow up first off on what you're talking about, 12 different leaders for at least one lap. Uh, We saw several that Mm -hmm. got one lap in, but that's how tight it was, was they could just barely uh, get by them at the start-finish line. Some great multi-groove racing that we saw there at Michigan uh, International Speedway. And I know there, again, the resin comes into play. We haven't necessarily seen that in a while. A lot of fans uh, calling in on the radio shows today, very happy with that. Um, Mm -hmm. Before we get down to Truex, though, to follow up on on Truex, Denny Hamlin, a fifth-place finish, uh, led twice for 10 laps. We've seen in the past couple of weeks, early in the season, He was dominant, finishing second, third, top five. That's how he built up that points lead he had over Kyle Larson. Kind of fell off as of recent, but we saw him battling for the win at Indianapolis Road Course, now getting another uh, top 
five finish here at Michigan. I think he's gone through that summer slump, if you will, and back where he needs to be. Still needs to get those victories. And the battle there, uh, one race now, I think I looked at it, 28 points between him and Kyle Larson could be a huge factor. Mm -hmm. He is locked in. No fear of that. But that regular season championship, especially since Denny Hamlin doesn't have a win. Um, Mm -hmm. Mentioned Matt DiBenedetto. Great run for him. Kyle Busch, another one that's peaking and climbing towards the top at the right time to match up with these Hendrick Motorsports cars. Uh, Chase Elliott there in eighth. Brad Keselowski in ninth, and then Martin Truex in tenth. Uh, I know in Hot Topics, I think we're going to have to talk about Brad Keselowski and Austin Dillon. We'll, ha- <laughs> we'll hit on it here as well uh, before we even get to the point standings. But uh, good finish for him. And Truex, I know he has one that had uh, some damage from early in the race, him and Kyle Busch coming yeah. together, uh, teammates. Uh, what was it? Kyle cut to go underneath Truex and clipped him. So it was right front damage for Kyle Busch, who still finished uh, seventh. And then Truex with the left rear damage coming back to finish 10th. Yep. Anytime you have somebody with the left rear damage, somebody's got right front right <laughs> damage. Uh, you mentioned a good run for Chase Briscoe, Stuart Haas Racing, looking uh, better right now. Ricky Stenhouse, 12th. Christopher Bell. Now, he was another one that was up in the top five, led twice for three laps, uh, mixing it up, faded back a little bit at the end. And Kevin Harvick, uh, what should have been uh, maybe a bigger storyline, I'm sure with the 14th place finish, the way it played out with a repeat winner, he is locked in, cannot get knocked out at Daytona, has to make him feel good, but their season has not been where it needs to be. He's going to come into the playoffs if they reset right now in that uh, either 16th or 15th spot uh, down towards the bottom, which means in the first round he will be in that cut line and the possibility. And they just, you know, top one, especially when it comes to playoffs, top 15s may not get it done. I know. He's He's got to step up to the plate. Uh, during the playoffs, if he wants to contend for a championship, and you never know, he may do what um, Tony Stewart did a few years back. We'll have to kind of wait and see what happens. I've kind of had a theory all there year you, long that that's what he's going to do. Go. But we'll see if that it w- comes to play w- out. That would be a good uh, repeat uh, history. History. Uh, Repeat of history, have Kevin Harvick enter the playoffs and Tony Stewart as the car owner saying they don't deserve to be in there and see him come win five out of the ten, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. That quote, by the way, about the left rear and the right front uh, was a quote from uh, Dale Jr. during the broadcast. I think he said that uh, anybody who's got uh, rear left rear damage there's somebody else out there with right front damage. And sure enough, there was Kyle Bush. <laughs> you're, you're right. And it, it was during a commercial, the bri- or the uh, production team had to go and find it because they, they weren't sure who it was that it involved. Uh, they had to go back and find the clip uh, of the two teammates and, and where it took place. Uh, but you're right. Dale was like, yeah, with damage there, somebody else has damage. We just got to figure out who. <laughs> <laughs> who it is. Yep. Okay. Um, uh, st- still talking about Stuart Haas Racing. We got Eric Almarola 
again, a 17th place finish, nothing spectacular, but that team as a whole has been climbing in the right direction. We were talking about 30 place finish. He was 30th in mm-hmm. points. Uh, you know, he's up to, up to 23rd now, locked himself in with the win. So the momentum and the change in direction of the company, and then Cole Custer finished 23rd. So they're at least pointed in the right direction. It might be a little bit late, but uh, going in the right direction. Absolutely. Okay, let's go ahead and cover the uh, point standings. Real quick, uh, before we do that, and this will lead into it, uh, talk about Tyler Reddick, RCR teammates, Tyler Reddick and Austin Dillon. Uh, mm-hmm. Reddick finished 29th and was looking to keep points over his teammate Austin Dillon, which he did because Austin Dillon finished 36 after being involved in an accident. And Dillon had a very, very, very strong car. Uh, yes, I feel he would have been contending for the victory uh, following an incident. And I say, I kind of want to put this on hot topics if we get a chance. Battling for. Uh, I don't remember, was it first or second stage? Let's see what the lap count was at, where he was at. Must have been the second stage because he's got 120 laps, yeah. Um, Getting by Brad Keselowski by going down low, actually off the racing surface, battling with Brad Keselowski. And Keselowski kind of followed him down the track. When Dylan came back up, Keselowski was still there or coming down, whichever way you want to look at it. Well, that's why that's why it'll be a hot topic discussion. Uh, I feel that way that Keselowski didn't really come down on him, but also didn't check up and stay up or pull back up the track, if you will. So, uh, like I said, they came together there and and Dylan took a hard, hard hit into the wall and, and ruined what could have been his shot. Now he's got to race his way in come Daytona. Yes. So, yeah, another big discussion on uh, Hot Topics here coming up at 10 o'clock. Now, moving moving over to the point standings, I mentioned this, Kyle Larson does have that 28-point lead now, and I heard the interview prior to the race with that of he wanted to have a little bit more. He didn't necessarily wasn't looking to lock it up, but the more cushion you have at Daytona, the better. Uh, so he's got mm-hmm. 28 points over Denny Hamlin. And his stat line, five race wins, 12 stage wins, right now is sitting at 37 playoff points. Second in points, Denny Hamlin, no wins, only uh, five stage wins, five playoff points. <laughs> That's amazing. But that tells you how consistent he had been, at least, especially to start the season. And we've seen him return to that. So uh, Kyle Busch, third, two wins, five stages, 15 playoff points. William Byron, seen some uh, top running from him again. Race win, a one, three stage wins for eight playoff points. Chase Elliott is two wins, two stages, and 12 playoff points. Martin Truex, you mentioned him. He set himself up. Three race wins, five stage wins, 20 playoff points, and looking through the top 16, that's second most. So he's going to be next behind Kyle Larson. Then you got Ryan Blaney. Now he picked up his second win, four stage wins, puts him up to 14 playoff points. Logano has one win in four stages for nine. Kevin Harvick mentioned ninth in points, no race wins, no stage wins, zero playoff points. When they recede after Daytona, that's going to put him towards, if not the bottom, of the list. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Keselowski, one win, two stages, seven playoff points. Reddick in 11th is actually the one in on points right now at 677. Three stage wins for three playoff points. Bowman has the three victories for 15 playoff points. That'll slide him up towards the top. Austin Dillon just mentioned 13th in or 13th right now in points at 652. However, with Michael McDowell being outside the top 16, he's going to bump his way in. Dillon is out, and it's all about a race win now. Is well, I take that back. No, I take that back. It could still come down to points. Uh, Austin Dillon at 652, Tyler Reddick at 677. 20 points could be uh, could be done in the race. So, could still be mm-hmm. a points battle, but most of, most likely it's going to be a victory or not. Uh, Kurt Busch, one win, three three stages for eight playoff points. Bell, one win for five, and then Matt DiBenedetto is in that 16th spot. Oh, there's two outside. I tell you, I'm sorry. Matt DiBenedetto yeah, so is Eric in the 16th Almirola. spot. Yep, I forgot about Eric Almirola. I mentioned him earlier. So he's in 23rd with a victory. Is going to boost in, as well as Michael McDowell uh, in 19th. So Matt DiBenedetto at 557. Uh, he's out of it as far as points. So DiBenedetto, Chris Busher, Stenhouse, uh, Ross Chastain, Bubba Wallace, Chase Briscoe, Eric Jones, Daniel Soares, Ryan Newman, Ryan Priest, Cole Custer, Corey LaJoy, and Anthony Alfredo. Uh, all in the top 30 and eligible for the playoffs with a victory. Corey LaJoy did miss a race due to uh, COVID protocol, but has been granted the waiver as well. So any one of those drivers, a win and they're in. Dylan and Reddick could still be a points battle at 20-some points, uh, but primarily looking for, for that victory. Right. That knocks uh, the, the McDowell and uh, Almarola. Actually, they end up knocking out both Matt DiBenedetto and Austin Dillon, right? Yep. Yep. So both of those drivers are now below the cut line. Okay. Yeah, this is uh, should... pretty pretty interesting stuff going on here. The, the interesting thing, and, and like I mentioned, Harvick may be partially happy with that 14th place finish with a repeat winner, um, it did lock him in where he cannot be knocked out. If we'd had a new winner this weekend, it was possible with another new race winner at Daytona uh, that he could have been the one to be knocked out. Well, and here's that's true. But here's the thing. Austin Dillon and Matt Benedetto, they're both really good at Daytona. So it's going to be interesting to see which of those two prevails. So when you're watching that race, uh, this is not a race just for those guys that are at the front necessarily. Uh, this is going to be a race between those two drivers. Well, and there was that one stretch, uh, like I said, I know he faded, but early on when DiBenedetto was pushing so hard for that race lead, I thought mm-hmm. he might be the one, especially with Ford's history, uh, what, a, what a story that would have been to get Wood Brothers 100th win at Michigan in a Ford uh, I really was looking, kind of looking forward to that uh, storyline coming out of Michigan. Yeah, that would have been really cool. 
Okay, we are very close to the top of the hour here. Anything else you want to mention before we uh, go into NASCAR Hot Topic? I'm going to probably, uh, I'm going to have us start out with the uh, series point standings for our fantasy group. But uh, just, All right. uh, if you have anything else that you want to talk about before we go to that, that would be great. Hello? No. Yeah, you Whoa. Hello. I'm going to introduce everybody here in just Am a second. Am I on the air? Okay. Uh, I think we have uh, Mike Orzel on the show. Yeah, hello, everybody. I'm here. Um, bear with me. There's probably going to be a lot of background noise. I'm still walking my way through Dallas Airport, but I am here. Okay, and then uh, Andy let me know that he's probably going to be on a little bit late. Uh, but we have somebody else on the line here, so let me uh, uh, do a screen check here, and uh, why don't you go ahead and cover the points, Jay? All right. For the truck series, we had a little bit of uh, gaps built up, if you will. Uh, Sharon, staying in the truck point lead, 68 to 64 over myself. Mike is now at 63. Andy at 60. Tommy, 56. Owen, 51. Sam, 46, and James, 37. 31 points top to bottom there through that first. You want to know what? I got to go back and redo that. I apologize. I'm going to have to go back and update that because it was double points for the playoffs, so I need to readjust those truck series points. Yes. Uh, yes. I forgot that. No, I, that just dawned on me, so I'll update that one if I can get it done throughout the show. If not, when we start next week, I will get that updated. Okay. Uh, the Xfinity Series, uh, Mike stretched his lead out there. It's now 88 points for him, 85 for me, Andy at 83, Sam at 78, Sharon 74, James 71, Tommy 70, and Owen 69. Only 19-point difference there, top to bottom. Cup side, I lost my lead. Sam took, a, took the lead now at 123. I'm at 118. Mike gained up to 116. Owen's at 111. Sharon, 109. Tommy, 97. James, 94. And Andy, sticking with Briscoe. Uh, it's been improving, but he's at 55. So back and forth throughout the whole weekend, Mike and I ended up tied again at the end of the weekend. 267 points total. Sharon's third at 251, <laughs> Sam 247, Owen 231, Tommy 223, James 202, and Andy at 198. Uh, so what, 69 points total, top to bottom there. Uh, and I apologize, I, it just hit me. Like I said, I'm going to have to redo those truck points. Okay, well we, well, we can catch up on that on Thursday, I believe, right? Okay. Okay. So, uh, Mike, we've got you here. So, uh, Andy's going to be a little bit behind here, uh, but he'll join into the conversation when he arrives. Uh, but why don't you go ahead and get us started on the first hot topic? Sure. Um, let's bring up the, uh, the incident that happened between Brad Keselowski and Austin Dillon at the end of stage two in yesterday's race. Uh, for those, uh, those of us who maybe didn't see it, 
Um, they were racing to the line at the end of stage two for, I believe it was the sixth position. They made contact at the bottom of the track after, the, after crossing the start-finish line, and uh, Austin Dillon got the worst of it getting spun into the outside wall, and that ended his day and probably ended anything other than a must-win for his playoff chances this year. So I'm interested what everyone's take on that is, both in terms of was it just a racing incident, uh, and what the, are there any broader implications for that in terms of is this a symptom of the playoff system making guys do stuff that maybe they shouldn't? Hmm. Okay. Uh, an interesting thought there. Okay, Jay, your your thought. Mike hit a couple of things there. Uh, first off, to and it's tough to describe over over the radio, but Austin Dillon had the momentum, went to the inside of Brad Keselowski, all the way down off of the racing surface. Now Michigan doesn't have the yellow line rule, so he can go below there. Brad Keselowski followed him down there trying to get that side draft and stall his momentum. When they crossed the start-finish line, Austin had the position by about a half a car length or so and came back up the track. I do not feel like Brad turned down at all at that point, but he was still kind of following him down there. So to me, it's just one of those unfortunate situations. And if you heard Brad's in-car audio, he said, hey, I did not mean to do that. I was still here kind of coming down just because I was trying to side draft him, which Austin should have expected when he made the move. You know, that's part of this uh, aero package racing Um not having been cleared up to me, it, to me, I kind of feel it like it was more Austin Dillon's fault. Um, you know, he got the position to think he could just come right back up. Not, you know, he said Brad should have uh, let off. You know, he got the position, let off. They had already crossed the start finish line, but Austin didn't let off either. He's still at the same speed. You know, he could have let off and gotten line behind him. Scoring would have said, Hey, Austin, you're in front, moved him up. So, just a bad situation. I mean, truthfully, you know, there too. Spotters could have said, "Hey, you know, he's still outside, still outside. Don't come up yet." Uh, so many different things could have played out. So many different ways. Highlighted because it was uh, Austin Dillon's chance. Had a great car, and as Mike said, it was for the sixth position. Dillon had been running in the top four, battling for the lead at one point. Um, and had a strong car and I think could have contended for that victory, which would have locked him in. And that is an aspect of the playoffs. That aside, talking about it being for the sixth position, because he knows if he doesn't have the victory, he's got to get the points on Tyler Reddick. So, yeah, was fighting for one more point, one more position throughout the race, because he knows he's going to, if it comes down to it, it could be a battle of points. Uh, So it is a result of the, the playoffs the way it is right now. And those drivers knowing where they're at in points and who they're racing, and he knew that he had to gain points on Tyler Reddick. Yeah, speaking of that, uh, if there's anybody that Austin Dillon wants to do better than, it is Tyler Reddick. And not just because of the playoffs, but because they're teammates at his grandfather's uh, organization, Richard Childress Racing, uh, he he wants to be the top dog there. He doesn't want Tyler Reddick to be the top dog. So this was a really tight conversation, competition uh, between those two drivers. And Austin Dillon 
yes, he, he was off of the racing service. He was on the apron. And let's not forget, when you come back onto the track off of the apron, uh, it, there's a little bit of, it, it's not an easy transition to do. Uh, and th- that alone, I think, was uh, part of the issue. Uh, is the fact that he's coming from the apron onto an inclined part of the racing surface, and uh, uh, that by is not an easy thing to do. But I've got to ask, where were the spotters? Why weren't the spotters telling him exactly what where Brad Keselowski was? Now, I also remember Brad Keselowski saying at some point, uh, during his racing career here in the Cup Series, that he was done with giving people positions. He was going to hold his line no matter what on that track. And that's exactly what he did. He held his line uh, on the track. And he says now, he says that he probably could have given uh, Austin Dillon a little bit more room uh, considering the situation and all, but he didn't. So I do think that uh, he he's kind of got this mentality of holding his line, and he did that. And Austin Dillon did not account for that and came up uh, thinking that uh, Brad Keselowski was going to give him some room, uh, but it didn't happen. And that's, uh, that's when disaster struck for Austin Dillon. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily call it disaster at this point, but he is in jeopardy uh, with both um, uh, uh, Michael McDowell and Eric Amarola having wins. It displaces both Austin Dillon and Matt DiBenedetto in the point standings. So now he's really got to race his way in at Daytona. We know he's good at Daytona. Uh, we know Matt Benedetto is good at Daytona, um, but Austin Dillon has a lot at stake with this one, I think, with the fact that he's also competing against Tyler Reddick, who is his teammate at Childress Racing. Uh, and Austin Dillon wants to be the top dog there, and I think he just put that into jeopardy. Uh, I think he'll be okay with it, but it's a, it's a bruise to his ego for sure. Mike, I'm curious to know your thoughts. You know, I hate it for Austin Dillon. Um, but I don't think there was anything intentional. And, and kind of like what you said, Sharon, with Brad Keselowski previously saying he wasn't going to give up positions anymore. He wasn't going to allow for blocking. I don't even think that really came into play. I don't think Brad looked to his left, saw Austin Dillon trying to come back up the track and said, no, no, not today. I don't think that's really what was in play there. Uh, I think it was no. a racing incident. Yeah, the, you know, the, the camera view from the top of Brad's car, Brad was still kind of coming down a little bit. Austin was kind of drifting up a little bit, and they made contact. Austin Dillon got the worst of it, absolutely. But I don't think there was ever any I, – I don't think either one was aware that contact was about to happen, and unfortunately Austin Dillon got by far the worst of it. But I think if we're going to really assign, you know, point a finger for something like this, I've kind of got to point the finger a little bit off at Austin Dillon on this one, not so much because of what he did with the car in terms of drifting up the racetrack, but more so in terms of allowing the little picture to get in the way of the big picture. And it's kind of like when Jimmy Johnson wrecked Martin Truex at the first Roval race, where Austin was so focused on getting that one point 
and winning that one battle that he cost himself the war. And because of racing so hard with Brad, taking the chance, running it all the way down to the grass, like you said, on the apron, off the racing surface, okay, great, he got sixth place in stage two. And then because of that, he finished deep into the 30s. Versus if he had not taken that extreme move with the car, put himself all the way down there, settled for seventh place, yeah, that's one less point, but now he's racing for finishing points at the end of the race versus destroying the race car. So I understand he's in a really difficult position, but I think that was probably, I don't want to say lack of maturity, because obviously Austin Dillon's been in the series for quite a while. He knows what he's doing, um, but it was, it was definitely a little bit of a lapse in decision-making that was clouded by a situation where he, you know, he, like you said, he's feeling this pressure not just from Tyler Reddick, but from the playoff system in general, and it allowed him to make a decision that it ended up costing him the race car. Okay, Jay, your follow-up? Yeah, very good point, Mike, of, of even the, that celebrating, like you said, losing focus of the big picture. Got the position, was going to get credited for that position and those points, uh, not to say he was celebrating, but letting everything else go and just coming right back up the track. Uh, you know, like I said, if he'd have checked up and let Brad go by him, if he knew he was that close to him coming across the start-finish line, knowing where he is afterwards, and especially having that great a car, uh, being more protective of it. Uh, like I said, if he checks up, gets back on the track where he can, race control is going to say, hey, Austin, you're up in front of him. You know, you, could, you did beat him to the line, get back up in front of him before we – come to pit road, um, that they'd have handled it. So I do too kind of have to put it a little more on Austin Dillon mentioned being below that line and coming back up that transition, uh, how bumpy it is below the line and then transitioning up. You're going to have that little bit of a uh, hiccup where you got to be secure on your, on your steering mm-hmm. wheel. Uh, just like, like Mike said, kind of a little bit of a lapse of judgment, you know, like, took the victory and then just kind of let everything else go and, and come back up onto the track without looking you know, you think about it when you merge onto the highway. It's your responsibility to merge in. Uh, so, yeah, I do think I, – I, I, I said it from the beginning, bad set of circumstances that just kind of all came together, but I think it would have been more on Austin Dillon to make sure he was clear before moving up, not that other guy should have given way. I, I really hear what you guys are saying about giving some of the blame to uh, Austin Dillon here or more of the blame to Austin Dillon. I put more of the blame on the spotter. Why wasn't the spotter kind of coaching him up off of that apron and letting him know exactly where uh, Brad Keselowski was and telling him and coaching him to kind of back off and do exactly what you said, Jay, back off. You're going to get the position back. They should have been communicating that to him during that time. And I don't know that that communication was taking place. So I put at least some of the blame, uh, uh, if not all of the blame, on the spotters in this particular case um, because there should have been some communication in his ear uh, about that situation and and how he could have handled it. Um, And I don't know if, I find it hard to believe that Austin wouldn't want that kind of communication, uh, but it seems to me like the spotters uh, were a little bit negligent here as well. Mike? Well, 
I don't want to get too defensive on anybody, but you know, you're asking where the spotters were. My bet is they're probably looking down towards turn one, looking for the drivers who have already crossed the start finish line and are probably going substantially slower than the three car and the two car that were just at the start finish line doing the better part of 200. So that's my guess. Uh, as far as where to take it, well, it's going to make this weekend a little bit more interesting because mathematically, Austin Dillon is not in a must-win situation. But Tyler Reddick's going to have to have a really bad day and Austin Dillon have a really good day in order for him to point his way in. So hopefully he learns his lesson here and doesn't allow you know, desperation to drive him to do something that ends up costing him the race car. Yeah, if Austin Dillon wins at uh, Daytona, that's all he needs. Uh, it's not an easy task necessarily, but he is good there. Now, Andy has arrived, so Andy, I'm going to let you weigh in on this uh, as far as the Austin Dillon and Brad Keselowski uh, shuffle. Well, first off, I uh, hope everyone's doing good. I'm glad I was able to get on here, albeit just a few minutes late. Um Yeah, that was unfortunate. Uh, Mike and I were kind of talking about that a little bit as it happened live yesterday, and it was um, a pretty big hit for Dylan, but I don't think there was any malicious intent there, um, you know, just based on Brad's reaction, you know, in terms of what he said on the radio as well as his post-race tweets. Um, You know, I, I don't see him turning somebody into the wall head on like that. And if you look at the replay, you know, it's a combination of side drafting and the three car even came up a little bit. So I think it was just one of those just, you know, racing incidents. There's really no other way to put that. Uh, it's unfortunate, obviously a hard hit. Just glad that Austin was okay. You know, one of the harder hits we've seen this year, um, you know, and I'm sure he's frustrated by it as you'd expect, but I don't think there was a remote, any, any remote ounce, of hostility by Brad Keselowski and the two team. Now, you know, what that does moving forward, that's a really good point. Um, obviously, you know, that, that wreck could have been a game changer because Dylan had a car capable of winning yesterday. And had he won the race, it would have been a complete game changer uh, for the playoffs. And so obviously that puts their team in a bit of a interesting position um, going into Daytona, I believe they're in a must-win situation unless they can somehow catch Reddick. Um, you know, and obviously if someone else below the cut line wins, that further changes things. So certainly changes their mindset. But uh, an unfortunate incident. I don't think it was done intentionally. Um, I think it was just bad. You know, just ill-timed side drafting and uh, an ill-timed move by Dylan himself to move up the racetrack and, you know, Kozlowski held his position and in doing so it turned the three car. So, um, but when I first saw it, it looked, it looked bad to be honest. And, you know, but kind of stunned me to be honest. And then I looked at the replay and I, I thought, well, there's no way that was done intentionally. So curious to see if anyone disagrees with that or not, but I, I definitely think that uh, it was just an, an unfortunate accident yesterday. Okay, I think everybody pretty much agrees uh, with a lot of what you said there, Jay. Or, I mean, sorry, Andy. Um, the other Jay. I'm going to go to you, the other Jay. I'm going to go to you, though, uh, for the next top topic, because we've kind of been around the horn twice already on that topic. Yeah, sounds good. Um, over the weekend, it was announced officially that uh, Eric Jones is going to return to RPM for the 2022 season. 
Okay, Jay? I want to say kind of expected, but there were some possibilities that RPM could make a change. Uh, I don't know that the – I think maybe re-signing Eric Jones was the right decision. He's still one of the younger drivers. And the building that relationship, the, the more you change year to year to year, uh, you're kind of, if nothing else, maybe being at a stalemate unless you bring in a top driver, which I don't know that there were any that necessarily top drivers. I think about some of the possibilities. Ryan Newman brings some experience but isn't a long-term answer. Matt DiBenedetto, uh, just being a free agent, was a possibility. Uh, so there were a couple of options, but I think that in the long run, Jones being as young as he is and that building that relationship and building on what they have built so far, I really do think was, was a good move. Um, you know, I'd like to see DiBenedetto get a ride uh, somewhere, so there were, and I, I don't want to see Ryan Newman leave the sport, I can't say there would have been a bad storyline. Somebody's in, somebody's out. Uh, unfortunately, Jones got to re-sign. That's great for him. I'm happy. I think it is a good move. But I'm also kind of sad. That means that's one less seat that somebody else could get. Uh, and I know what Mike said, and I'll let him uh, defend that before I, I respond to it. <laughs> so, uh, I, yeah, I, I think it was a good move. And like I said, kind of mo- maybe the most expected of just uh, stability. Uh, try and maintain some sense of stability moving forward and building on what, you, what you've already uh, started. Okay, Mike. Well, my take on it is I was pretty surprised to see the announcement happen as early as it did in the season. We're only just now getting into the playoffs. I expected the announcement to come later, whether it was going to be RPM or another team. Uh, because I figured Jones was going to be a little bit hotter prospect for some of these expansion opportunities uh, for teams that are either looking to get larger, like 2311, or some other teams that are looking to get into the sport. No, Jay, not Floyd Mayweather. He's never getting into the sport. But some of the other teams that are getting into the sport, I figured Eric Jones would have held out a little bit longer and seen if there were opportunities elsewhere. Um, I really had him on the short list for the, the potential second 2311 team. Uh, I know Toyota cut him loose last year, but at the same time, it wasn't, I don't think there were any bridges burned or hard feelings. It was just a matter of there were not enough opportunities at Toyota, and Eric Jones found himself as the odd man out. So having another Toyota opportunity, it, it surprised me that Eric Jones wasn't more in the consideration for that. Um, but that, you know, that, that brings up the question now of, well, what, what are we going to see from the expansion Toyota team seeing that they passed on a, you know, a Toyota alumni-type driver? Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what this, uh, this new TRD-backed team does here with the assumed second 2311 car coming up. Okay. Uh, yeah, I uh, am glad to see that he's staying at RPM. And for a couple of reasons, you know, some Jay's already brought up, but the other reason is that, uh, and it ties into what Jay was saying, why start all over again with a brand-new driver when you've got a driver that you've been building on? Uh, you know, stick with that driver because you've gained something from the one year of experience that you guys have together, and now you're going into your second year. Let's give it a chance. We've been saying a long time that a lot of times these drivers don't get that opportunity uh, not all situations, obviously, but there are some situations where drivers get booted out before they've really been given a chance. 
Well, I think this is a great opportunity for uh, Eric Jones, and I do think that that uh, they will build on uh, that year of experience that they have, and we're going to be seeing great things from from uh, Eric Jones uh, to come. At least I hope so. Uh, as far as whether or not he was a top contender uh, for those other teams, you've got Ryan Newman out there. You've got Matt Benedetto out there. You've got um, uh, other drivers out there that I think that are top contenders as well. And so, yeah, it opens the door for those guys, uh, knowing that, Matt, knowing that uh, Eric Jones has secured his spot. Uh, and I give him kudos for that because I'd rather be in a secure spot um, than to be wondering what's going to be happening uh, for the next year. And that's where Ryan Newman is right now. Uh, yeah, they, he might he might be working on some things. but uh, And same thing with Kurt Busch. Kurt Busch said he's got a couple of teams uh, that he's opened. Uh, he's uh, got a – that the Alfred have offered him rights. So he's just got to decide. So um, I think it was a good move for Eric Jones and for RPM, for that matter. Andy, I'm curious to know your thoughts. Yeah, you know, I, I'm i really not sure what other opportunities were out there for Eric. And, you know, I still consider him to be a top prospect in the Cup Series, and I would like to think that his time driving an A-list Cup car is done, um, certainly – you know, losing his ride at Joe Gibbs Racing, I think, put him in the position to accept the ride with RPM. Um, you know, and certainly I think he brings a, a lot to that team and has helped elevate their performance over where they've been. Um, you know, and who knows what next year is going to bring with, with the new car sort of evening the playing field, at least to start things out. You know, you could you could see them possibly have some better performances than we're giving them credit for. So it is possible that with the relationship that he's built with that team and that crew to go into a second full season, you know, next year, you know, having built possibly some chemistry and whatnot, you know, they they could, they could do some things that we don't really give them a lot of credit for. So it, it may be that with what's available, in the garage for him to remain in the cup series uh, returning to RPM may have been the most viable option. So I don't think it's a bad scenario. I think it's good for him to continue that relationship. Good for the team to continue that relationship. And and you can see RPM become, you know, possibly somewhat relevant again next year. You know, there's a lot of unknowns with this new car and, you know, teams that we're not used to seeing up front could very well find their way toward the front next year. So, um, I think it's, mm-hmm. like I said, you know, probably the the best scenario for, for Eric to remain in a, you know, a decent cup car for next year. And, you know, who knows what his own future brings or, or will bring down the road. But I think given what's available and, and what he had for options, it was probably best for him to remain where he is. Jay, your follow-up? Well, and, and that's where what, what Mike posted on, on the group chat was of Eric Jones holding off for greener pastures. I don't know that there were any out there. Yes, there are some <laughs> possibilities. And when you talk about the 2311, which is the most uh, probably secure or popular ride, if you will, at this point, which we don't even know is 100% yet, um, 
Kurt Busch obviously seems to be the front runner for that. And I think I put Matt DiBenedetto second in line there due to his relationship and the history we know between him and Denny Hamlin. So I don't know that Eric Jones wasn't considered uh, even a possibility. And I'm trying to still trying to figure out where Kurt Busch's other possibilities are, but uh, <clears throat> I think that we can, we have him pretty, pretty penciled in for the 2311. We talked about this, I think last week of even if they don't secure a charter, if he brings the monster sponsor with that, they'll run without the charter. I don't know that you would take that position with uh, a driver like Eric Jones and not having a sponsor behind it. So uh, I think all in around for Eric Jones, it was, it was the best move, like you mentioned, for RPM building and, and being stable. And then you brought up the new car, the next-gen car of having that younger driver uh, to be the one to start you in that team versus, and, and it's not a, a downgrade or anything against Ryan Newman, but we've seen that with some of the older drivers, uh, if it doesn't fit them, and Martin Truex being one, he said, if I'm not having fun and it's going to be an uphill battle, we know that that was possibly part of the reason Jimmy Johnson exited when he did, having been through as many changes as he had, he didn't want to go through another one. So uh, definitely uh, a lot of different things to factor in, but I think it was a good move uh, for Jones and RPM. Maybe, maybe not some other spots that he could have excelled at or been given another fresh opportunity, but this one's still fresh as it was his first year. So I think it was a smart move to stay where he's at. Before we go on to the next person, I am going to make uh, our announcement here for our new listeners. We are going to go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, but we will continue our conversation and we'll be recording the rest of that conversation and it will be available on our podcast. So as soon as we finish up here, what I will do is I'll go out on Twitter to let people know that the podcast is available. You can go to the player at broadcast blog talk radio or at bamparacing.com and just fast forward to the two hour mark. To hear the rest of that conversation again we don't want you to be caught off guard and not know how to hear the rest of the conversation so we always make this announcement at this point of the show so with that mike uh you're up next for your comments well one thing that Follow i said that i really want to are you there you got me yeah we're here okay good uh, anyway the one thing that andy said that i want to wholeheartedly agree with is eric jones is a top level talent Think back to what he did in the truck series as well as the Xfinity series and the dominance that he had in those two series. It's hard to, it's hard to remember that, you know, just a couple of years ago, this guy was winning half a dozen races a year in each of those series, and that was back when Kyle Busch was running a whole lot more frequently in those series as well. So um, just because things didn't go so well at Joe Gibbs Racing, and they didn't go that badly either. Remember, he won the Southern 500 and a couple other races, so it's, it's not like Eric Jones did poorly at Joe Gibbs Racing. He's just, you know, another result of the Toyota meat grinder. He got chewed up and spit out by them. And I wouldn't say it's through any fault of his own. It was just a consequence of circumstance. So I, think, I do wholeheartedly think that Eric Jones is a top-level talent and is, in, is deserving of a top-level ride. No disrespect to Richard Petty Motorsports. They do what they can with what they have, but I don't consider them a top-tier ride. And that's why I was kind of expecting Eric Jones to be more in the running for a, uh, a higher-caliber ride, I guess, would be the way to describe it. 
Yeah, I have no doubt of, of uh, Eric Jones' talent. And I think he brings a lot to an organization like RPM. Uh, let's not forget uh, the reason that Eric Jones is in uh, NASCAR's top three is because he beat Kyle Busch at the Snowball Derby. Um, I think it was the Snowball Derby, wasn't it, Jay? Uh, where uh, Kyle Busch was really impressed with Eric Jones uh, for for beating him uh, in one of those uh, premier late model series. So we know he's got talent. There's no doubt about that. Uh, it's that you've got other drivers like a Kurt Busch or Ryan Newman uh, that are also vying for those positions. So, yeah, I agree uh, that he's, he's a talented guy uh, and he deserves to be in a top-level ride uh, without any doubt in my mind. Uh, but there's a lot of competition. And I'll tell you what, Kurt Busch brings all that sponsorship with him, uh, and that's going to be tough to compete against. Uh, so I, I, uh, I, I like Eric Jones. I like him a lot. Uh, I think he made the right decision, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of anxious to see what he does in that car next year. It is going to be a new car, and I think we're going to see uh, some different players <laughs> next year with this new car. Some people are going to adapt to it a lot faster than others, and uh, I think Eric Jones is the kind of guy that that can make that uh, adapt to that uh, very quickly. So we'll see what happens uh, next season. Andy? Yeah, you know, and it's it's important to try to remain relevant in the sport, and, and I think the best way for Eric to do that is to remain where he's at. Obviously, I'm sure he'd love to be, you know, in an A-list car, but, you know, the sport can pass you by very, very quickly. And, you know, if he were to not accept this deal, it's possible he'd be rideless next year, and, and who knows what would happen after that. So for him to mm-hmm. remain with this team and continue that relationship, it, it keeps him relevant. And, and who's to say that doesn't open opportunities down the road. So I think it's a good move, like we've talked about. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, where that team goes in the future. I, you know, like, like we've already said, they think that, you know, the new car lends itself to maybe seeing teams that we're not used to seeing up front, run up front, you know, and, and who knows what, what can be done you know, between, you know, RPM and, and Eric continuing that relationship. So, um, but I think the key for Eric Jones is, you know, in order to remain relevant, I think it was the best opportunity for him to, to still have a full-time ride for next year. And, you know, he, he certainly, I think, brings more to that team than most drivers could. So certainly a good scenario mm-hmm. for not just him, but the team as well. Okay. Uh, Jay, you're up next for the next hot topic. Well, we got a couple of them. I know Mike listed a couple, but I'm going to slide up to the one I posted. That's Emmett Smith and Jesse Awuji uh, partnering to bring an Xfinity <laughs> Series team together. Okay, Mike, you're first up here. This was announced. I think it's all, this came out during Saturday's Xfinity Series race. They announced it before the green flag on that. Uh, a bit of a surprise. I know Jesse Awuji has been kicking around the Xfinity Series in various rides for the past couple of years. Uh, he did the Pro Invitational Series, several of those, allegedly won the fan vote to get voted into those. Uh, and he also obviously works for NBC Broadcasting. So a well-known name around there. Uh, Emmett Smith, 
I didn't know he was that interested in NASCAR. I'm not sure what his <laughs> level of interest or participation is going to be, which concerns me. Um, it is kind of that similar discussion that we had a few months ago when we were talking about the influx of celebrity ownership into the sport. Um, if Emmett Smith is committed to the sport and committed to fielding a good team and building it and growing it, that's great. That's wonderful. I welcome to the sport. I wish them the very best. I hope against hope that it's not just some sort of a publicity move that as soon as that publicity shot from what they're doing fades, then so does the support from the team uh, from that celebrity backer, in this case, Emmett Smith. So I'm interested to see how it pans out. uh, Put me in the cautiously optimistic column. How's that? Okay, Andy. I mean, you know, a new team and growth is a good thing. Um, You certainly hope that, you know, this is a team that wants to come in and not just come in and ride around but be competitive and be a part of the sport for years to come. And if that's the case, that's a really good thing. I think um, as a race fan, you're always going to be welcoming of a new team that wants to come in to compete. And certainly in recent times we've seen – uh, newer teams come into the Xfinity Series like Colleague Racing and, and be very competitive, you know, and and certainly what that team has done, you know, is, is come in with the vision to win races and work hard to get there, and they've done exactly that. And, you know, if this, this new team has those same philosophies and same goals, then, you know, maybe they can, you know, achieve similar style results. You know, I don't know, you know, how many cars they're going to run, you know, what their overall plan is. Certainly, um, you know, from what we've seen from Jesse Aruji so far, you know, certainly he's learning as a driver, trying to get better. And, uh, you know, if they can surround him with the right resources and the right personnel, you know, maybe this allows him to go out there and and be more competitive and, you know, maybe uh, establish himself well in, in the Xfinity series. So, um, but the bottom line is anytime a new team comes in, um, you certainly have to be excited about that because it's growth and, and growth is always a good thing within the sport. So um, like Mike said, cautiously optimistic that they have the right intentions to come in and compete and, and, and try to win races and, and certainly um, be interesting to see what they can actually do. Yeah, I think this is a really interesting trend that we're seeing all these new teams uh, developing and with other pro sports figures. Uh, I think, I think that's fantastic. Um, So for all the reasons that Andy brought up, let's also keep in mind that Emmett Smith and Jesse Awuji became friends because they're both football players. Uh, So that's, they have a friendship that's involved here as well. And Emmett is trying to do, what he can to help support uh, Jesse Awuji's passion for the sport, but he has his own passion for the sport. He, he just like Michael Jordan, who grew up watching races with his dad, uh, growing up in that North Carolina area. Uh, um, Emmett Smith said he he went to races with his dad as well. So they they've been he's been a longtime follower of NASCAR, and that's what's so kind of cool about this is that we're seeing some of these sports figures uh, from other venues uh, that have been following NASCAR uh, from their youth that now have this opportunity to be in NASCAR. Joe Gibbs was the, the guy that really made that work, coming over from football 
into NASCAR and becoming a, a Hall of Famer, not just in football, but in NASCAR as well. And I, I think that he's an inspiration for some of these guys uh, that maybe they can do the same thing. And what, time's going to tell the rest of that part of the story. But uh, I think it's a very, very positive thing. These guys bring money with them into this sport. And uh, uh, they're coming with a passion for the sport as well. So definitely sounds like it's all good to me. Uh, So we'll see how it plays out. Uh, And I'm a little bit more enthusiastic than you guys are. Uh, But I think that uh, I I think when I look at it, uh, even objectively, I think that these guys are uh, these guys are starting up new teams, and that's always a good thing, as uh, Andy put it. So, Jay, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you're exactly right. A, a new team coming into the Xfinity Series. We've talked about it at the Cup yeah. level, and as some of these uh, move from the Xfinity Series up to the Cup, like Colleg Racing, to see more come into the Xfinity Series is obviously a good thing. And I look back at last year, uh, Emmett Smith and his uh, foundation or program sponsored Jesse Awuji in a race. It's the building on that mm-hmm. relationship. As they talked, Emmett talked about what he likes in Jesse Awuji, uh, the fact that he wasn't raised as a racer, uh, come through racing ranks. Um, and part of it, as, as he said, because he didn't grow up around it. So that kind of platform and program that Jesse Awuji is behind, Emmett liked that as well and the two coming together and building on that relationship um, is, is a big thing. It's not just a matter of minorities in this case, uh, although it partially is. It's also just that anybody capitalizing on their dreams, just because you didn't grow up around it or involved in it at a young age, to still be able to get into it and, and chase your dreams. And I think that's part, a big part of the program that Emmett liked yep. and what he saw with Jesse Awuji. So, uh, I think it is a great thing all around. I know we've seen some lackluster or non-committed ones in the past. Uh, maybe I'll throw out Mayweather, a lot of talk, no action. <laughs> um, I go back to Randy Moss Motorsports, the Hall of Fame one just didn't work out. But I think now you're seeing ones that come in and are committed to it. It's not a just, uh, oh, that seems like the popular thing to do. I'm going to put my name on it that they're behind it, uh, that we've seen with Michael Jordan, Pitbull. So I think that's the huge difference, and I think this is what NASCAR wanted. The time is now. Okay, Mike, your follow-up. Yeah, Jay brings up a great point about this being an Xfinity Series team, which is great to see. Um, It's real easy to swing for the fences. I wouldn't say it's easy because obviously cup racing is go land on the moon kind of hard. But it's easy to swing for the fences and just go for the cup series because it's the big name, big money sport. But there's a lot of barriers to entry for it. Uh, as well as a lot higher potential for, for failure in the Cup Series because you're racing against uh, some substantially established teams. The other great thing about getting some new blood in the Xfinity Series is there's been kind of a disappointing shift in the Xfinity Series over about the past 10 years or so where you've got a couple dominant mega teams like Joe Gibbs Racing Junior Motorsports and to a lesser extent, Stuart Haas and Penske, who have both kind of wound down their, their Xfinity programs over the past couple of years. But it shifted to just those couple dominant teams. And on those dominant teams, you're only going to have one or two really great drivers who are 
developing prospects and the rest of the team and the rest of the field for that matter has more or less been been fleshed out with pay drivers and it's it's yeah they're putting on races and some of the races a lot of the races are pretty good but it hasn't been the robust healthy series that it used to be 15 20 years ago when it was the bush series and you had guys making a career out of being competitive in that series and that's what they did so seeing a team develop and target the Xfinity series. I hope they do follow the colleague racing model where colleague came into the Xfinity series um, and they developed and they did very well. And now there's a really good chance they're racing for a championship this year with AJ Allmendinger, the way he's been running. And then they're going to move down into the cup series next year. So I wish um, whatever the name of this team is, I haven't seen anything announced for it yet. Whatever the, the, the Emmett Smith, Jesse Wuji venture is, I wish them the very best because the Xfinity series does need some dedicated uh, top-level talent and teams built up in that series for that series. So I look forward to seeing them do well. Okay, Andy, you're next. Yeah, I mean, I I really can't say much else other than what's already been said. But, you know, anytime you see growth in a team wanting to come in and, and, and compete, it's a good thing and, and certainly would be interested to see what they're capable of doing when they hit the track. Okay. Um, It was just last year that Chase Briscoe from Stuart Hawes Racing won the championship. Is that right? Uh, Uh, No, Austin Sendrick won the championship. No, Sendrick won it last year. Sendrick won it. Okay, so. That was Team Penske with Sendrick, yeah. Oh, okay. So, but Chase Briscoe recently won that championship uh, in the Xfinity Series with. No, he never won a championship in Xfinity. He won an ARCA championship, but that would have been um, – I'm trying to think who won the last few. I know the nine car at JRM has won a couple with Reddick, um, and I think William Byron, and I know Chase Elliott won a couple. I can't think of who else. I, I don't know that Briscoe ever okay. um, has never won an Xfinity title, I don't think. Well, I know he won an awful lot of races in the Xfinity Series with Stuart Haas Racing. Um, they did win nine. They did win nine races last year, yep. Yeah, so I wouldn't call that a shabby team <laughs> uh, or a winding down team. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's funny. I had to kind of double-check my ears there. Okay, so... Um, Thank you for correcting me, though, on the championship. I thought, sure, that uh, he had won it because I knew he had won a lot of races. Um, but but uh, Stuart Haas in general has wound down this year. Uh, I would say that. But I think that they're, they're working on kind of uh, getting things wound back up again. Uh, but uh, I definitely wouldn't say that they're winding out of the Xfinity Series. Um, and I, I do think that they'll be back again next year. So, um, uh, I, I, I do think that, uh, this is all a good thing, uh, that, uh, we've got a new team that's coming in and, uh, and Mike does bring up some good points about the Xfinity series along with Jay, uh, that this is a, a really good thing and an opportunity um, for an organization uh, that the, that Emmett Smith and Jesse Awuji are kind of uh, starting up here, uh, and and I also like the point that was brought up that uh, Jesse Awuji is not 
a driver that has started from childhood and grown up within the racing world. He's coming from a different uh, perspective here, and uh, Emmett Smith recognizes that and wants to give him that opportunity. I think he's totally committed to it, and, and that has to be positive as well. So, uh, Jay, you get the final word here. Couple of key things. The fact that it is in the Xfinity series, uh, we saw Trackhouse uh, come in at the Cup level, be successful. The 2311 maybe not quite as much, but certainly a strong team to know your capabilities and limits and pick the spot. Uh, we've seen College Racing and what they've built and how they've progressed mm-hmm. and now going to the Cup series. To see that vision and say, okay, we know where we're at. We're going to start here and not try and bite off more than we can chew. See where it develops from there and what we need to do to build it. You know, and it may be one of those that that becomes a solid Xfinity Series team. And then you're a part of that progression. We talk about junior motorsports, the drivers that have come through there. Stuart Haas Racing, the drivers that have come through there, whether they won a championship or not. Um, To see that you know, that may be that they become a mainstay in the Xfinity series, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, so I do like that, that it is an Xfinity. If they build on it and it runs good in a couple of years, we see them at the cup level, that'd be great. If they are an Xfinity series team that provides opportunities for drivers uh, that we mentioned, whether it be minority or just ones to give them that shot, I think is huge. So I like it all the way around. Okay. Mike, you're up for the next hot topic. Well, unfortunately, we didn't have Jay on the show a couple weeks ago when I kind of laid the groundwork for this one, but now we have both Jay and you, Sharon, here. So get your happy squealy noises ready. It has been announced that Iowa Speedway has not one but two IndyCar races signed up for next year. They're going to be doing a doubleheader at Iowa Speedway on July 23rd and 24th of 2022 uh, and that's going to be the IndyCar series leasing the track from NASCAR for that weekend in order to hold their doubleheader event there so Iowa Speedway back from the brink of death okay Andy well you have to be excited about this it's a fantastic racetrack that really I wish you know still held NASCAR races but um, unfortunately left off of the 2021 schedule I don't even remember if they ran there last year or not I can't recall but um, unfortunate that uh, they didn't have a place um, either last year or this year for sure this year Uh, but it's a good thing that the IndyCar series will uh, essentially lease or rent the track and, and have two events there next year um, as far as short tracks go, it's it's a multi-groove racetrack with lots of racing options, which is great for drivers and great as a fan to watch it. So um, it's a good racetrack, you know, a place I've never been, someplace I'd really like to go at some point. And, you know, hopefully this means that, you know, there'll be more opportunities for, you know, not just the IndyCar series, but, you know, possibly the return of some form of, of, of NASCAR to come back there in the future. So, um you know, this is one of those racetracks that certainly deserves to have some form of professional motorsports each year, and, you know, thankfully they'll get just that next year. So it's a good thing, and, you know, certainly hope that, um, you know, the track can remain relevant uh, down the road as well. Okay, Jay. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to kind of follow Andy on that. I'm going to I'm gonna hope for the best here and take it as a positive as far as uh, – 
NASCAR stock car coming back. As you know, I'm not necessarily a big Indy fan. Uh, I'm happy to see for the track itself, being the great facility it is, that they that it's being utilized, whether it be for IndyCar or any other, in the hopes that it does then maintain as a facility and that eventually NASCAR will uh, return there in some form or fashion. Truck Series Xfinity, I know the Wheel and Modified Series was supposed to come there when uh, COVID hit, and that all kind of came apart. Uh, so it being a utilized racetrack and doesn't fall into uh, to grass and disrepair, as maybe some others, that then there's that hope that they'll be able to return without it being a bigger ordeal than it has to be if it's still a current upgraded facility versus having to be rebuilt or remodeled uh, extremely as, say, North Wilkesboro. Um, so I, I can't say I'm excited as far as IndyCar, but the other thing there, Andy mentioned wanting to go there, yes, and I got to thank Sharon for that opportunity. That's one I got to go to and work with her side-by-side uh, side, one of the first few times that I got to travel here with Sand for Racing. Very awesome facility. And I do just hope that NASCAR returns there in some fashion. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same vein. Yeah, I'm happy that IndyCar is going to have a double header there. I think that's fantastic. But uh, you won't hear me uh, scream any screams uh, just yet. I, I, want to, I want NASCAR to be racing there. So uh, is that going to open the door for NASCAR? I don't know. Uh, we'll have to kind of wait and see. Uh, I know ARCA Menard Series is still racing there. They've had uh, a couple of races uh, that are taking place at uh, Iowa Speedway, uh, but uh, it's still not NASCAR. And uh, Xfinity Series was racing there. Uh, the Truck Series, I think, had a race or two there. Uh, I wanted to see the Cup Series come to uh, Iowa Speedway. And I don't know what it would entail to get the Cup Series to race there, but uh, I, I think that it's a great facility and, and there would be room for the Cup Series uh, to race there at some point. So uh, I'm, I'm uh, happy for the IndyCar, but I, I want to see NASCAR race at Iowa Speedway, and I'm still waiting for that announcement. So we'll see what happens there. Mike? Well, a little bit of a selfish plug on this, but I, I do really like IndyCar. And uh, if, if you have been on the fence or just haven't made the time to watch IndyCar, um, not specifically talking to you, Sharon, more to the listeners in general, if you haven't had the time mm-hmm. to, to sit down and watch a, an IndyCar race, I strongly encourage it. They put on a great show, and I would say that they've substantially improved their product over the past probably what it used to be 10 years ago versus what it is now is night and day. The IndyCar racing, by and large, is some outstanding racing, whether it's on an oval or on a, on a road course. Uh, so they put on a really good show, That's and I would fun. strongly encourage anybody to keep an eye on it. As far as racing at Iowa, like you said, if nothing else, it keeps the weeds from growing up between the cracks and the track. Um, but I think with, with the success of the NASCAR doubleheader uh, a couple weekends ago at Indianapolis, I think that may lead to more, uh, more close work between NASCAR as an organization and IndyCar as an organization. I'm not saying they're necessarily going to marry up the Cup Series and the IndyCar schedule and run them every single weekend, but I don't think that uh, the – Indianapolis Motor Speedway experience, I think that's not going to be a unique thing anymore. We may see more opportunities where there's some overlap between the NASCAR schedule, whether it's the Cup Series or a lower series, and the IndyCar schedule at the same track at the same day. It's kind of a rising tide lifts all boats and a little bit of 
to use a business word, a synergistic effect. Jay, I'll, I'll text you the definition in a little bit. Um, but it helps all the series there probably more than just holding an individual event on a single weekend for a single series. So remember, the NASCAR schedule, by and large, has not been announced yet. We know a couple weekends for 2022, but we don't have the entire season schedule yet and probably won't for several more weeks, if not months. So the door is very much open for Iowa Speedway to host NASCAR, whether the Cup Series level, uh, Xfinity trucks, or like we, like you already said, they're already hosting ARCA races. That door is very much open, and I think it got a little bit wider with IndyCar having a doubleheader coming up there next year. Okay, Andy, your follow-up. Yeah, you know, one of the interesting things about, you know, the NASCAR schedule, you know, down the road is, you know, I'm sort of hoping that we get away from, you know, seeing a lot of these tracks have two events and maybe see more racetracks get maybe one race, you know, to include places like Iowa Speedway, possibly the return of some other venues that we haven't seen on the schedule this year. So um, I would rather see the diversity. I would rather see different markets get their chance to host races and, um you know, who knows what will take place, but, you know, we've been hearing talk about, you know, a, a fairly significant revamping of the schedule, which we saw a pretty significant step in that direction this season, and you have to think that, you know, we'll see more changes along those lines in the future. So, um, you know, I'd love to see, you know, certainly would love to see Iowa get a chance to host a, a full-fledged NASCAR weekend and uh, hopefully they'll get that opportunity. But, um, you know, at, at the same time, you know, we'll take what we can get. And certainly the IndyCar series going there is, is a, a great chance for that facility to remain uh, in the spotlight. Okay, Jay, your follow-up. Yeah, again, IndyCar may not be my thing, but I know they obviously have their following, and, and I do enjoy the or want the best for motorsports, that group of uh of fans and Iowa is a great facility for them to have it. So I am happy as far as that, but I'm with Sharon. I want to see the uh, NASCAR return there, specifically the cup series. I've won. I'm one that has lobbied for that for a long time um, as well. So uh, we'll have to see how that plays out. You know, the Indy IndyCar NASCAR weekends, if you will, um, seemed to go over pretty well when they were there at Indianapolis motor speedway. And if that's something that it takes to elevate both programs, I'm all for it. Whether or not I watch the IndyCar race or not, uh, you know, that's my choice. So, but I do think it is a good thing for motorsports as a whole, and especially for Iowa Speedway, like we've mentioned. Stay relevant, stay in usable condition, and, and be ready when their opportunity comes. Yeah, Jay, you were with me when we talked to the track president. And then also I bumped into the mayor uh, of Newton at Iowa Speedway and had some really good conversations about some of their future plans for that track. And so what it was so disappointing uh, after hearing some of these great ideas that they had for the future of that track to have NASCAR not, uh, you know, drop races at that track. Um so I hope the NASCAR does come back and they can activate some of those ideas and plans that they had for Iowa Speedway because uh, it sounded really great. And uh, I, I, um, 
I hope that uh, I hope that it uh, goes back uh, to that. Keep in mind that Knoxville Raceway is not that far away from Iowa Speedway either. So, you know, you've got people coming to Knoxville uh, and watching those races with the USAC. Uh, NASCAR needs to have the same kind of following. Uh, and so when we're advocating for these races, people have to turn out uh, at these tracks in order to, to make it a viable option for NASCAR. And um, I, th- I think Iowa Speedway has that possibility, especially with the access that it has uh, from I-80. So I'm happy. I'm happy for IndyCar. I like watching IndyCar races, uh, but I, I really want to see NASCAR race there as well. So, Mike, you get the final word here. Sorry, I couldn't hit the mute button fast enough. Anyway, yeah, really looking forward to seeing IndyCar at Iowa Speedway. Also really looking forward to seeing the NASCAR schedule for next year. I know we're kind of talking and like we think that NASCAR won't be returning to Iowa next year, but with IndyCar signing a deal there, I don't think – I think that puts Iowa more on the table versus not on the table for next year. So really looking forward to seeing the, the NASCAR schedule, both for the Cup Series as well as the lower divisions, and seeing where Iowa fits into that. And I won't be surprised at all to see Iowa Speedway on at least somebody's schedule next year. I hope you're right, Mike. Hey, uh, with that, we're ready to do our roundtable. We're already at the top of the hour, having such a good time and running out of time. Uh, so, Andy, let's go ahead and start with you first. Yeah, CB14 fan on uh, Twitter, and uh, certainly glad to uh, be back this evening. You know, second show in a row I've been able to do. It's been a uh, sparse summer for me doing radio shows, but um, certainly always try to be on when I can, and looking forward to hopefully being on Thursday as well. We'll have to wait and see, but that will be the plan so far. Okay, Mike. Mike underscore Zell on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Glad to make it on here today. I wasn't expecting to, but had some things change at work, so here I am. Unfortunately, I'm probably going to miss Thursday's show because I'm back at work on Thursday evening. But next Monday, I think I should be around. I'll keep you posted. Okay, thank you. And Jay. Uh, You can follow me, Michael Hoosman, on Facebook, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And two things here, a little pat on the head, but also as Sharon mentioned, uh, I sat down with uh, David Hyatt, uh, president at that time of Iowa Speedway, you're right, and he talked about some of those things, and believe it or not, I had to wait to publish the article because it hadn't even been published yet, and I was able to keep my big mouth shut, if you will. That doesn't happen very (laughs) often, but Sharon talked about that, the plans they had. And I hope to see that return. That's where the Wheel and Modified series came into play. And that's when I would like to see uh, get that opportunity that they didn't get there um, with that. Um, and then the other thing, I was going to do the truck series update, or the trucks and the overall. Uh, I did get those updated throughout the show. So Sharon and the truck series, you have the lead at 74. It puts, puts me back to 69, Mike at 67. Andy 61, Tommy 58, Sam 54, Owen 51, and then James 40. With that comes bad news for Mike, being that it was double points. We each had a, a point difference. It's now two. It means overall I lead 272 to 271. So I do have a one-point lead. It is not a tie. Oh, wow. It's still close. <laughs> <laughs> There's still time. 
Okay, uh, I am Bam for Racing Site on Twitter and Bam for Racing Blog and Radio everywhere else, uh, including BamforRacing.com. And uh, uh, I just kind of hit a brain hiccup here. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm multitasking and I lost my track of where I was going to go next here. Uh, we are... Uh, we have uh, Sam's recap up on FanforRacing.com, and uh, you can read that as well as the other recaps from the race weekend of racing. Uh, and uh, we, of course, will be doing our uh, hot topic uh, conversation again on Thursday night show when we are going to be previewing uh, the upcoming race uh, with. Uh, uh, the NASCAR and Arkham Menard Series coming up with the Daytona season finale of the Cup Series coming up uh, this weekend, as well as uh, uh, venues that will be racing as well. So uh, definitely stay tuned for that. And uh, I guess I don't have much else to say. A big thank you to all of our listeners uh, for tuning in. We always appreciate you. And then also uh, to the Pam for Racing crew here, uh, Mike, Andy, and Jay, we appreciate everything that you guys do uh, here on Denver Racing Radio and on the website. So thank you. And uh, with that, I think I'm ready to say goodbye <laughs> for tonight. We'll call it a night. Have a good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, everybody. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.